0: Good evening everyone and welcome to the podcast. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. We're going to to do a character workshop. Um and one of the reasons why it occurred to us to do it is because last night we were talking about characters and how um uh and creating characters and there were some questions about um creating original characters and how to create an original specifically how to create try- a original female character without turning them into a Mary Sue. Um, But I try not to differentiate between the creation of a male character and a female character. Um, I don't treat them differently in my narrative as far as like how much attention I give them, you know, how much detail I give them. I try to invest equally in the characters that I, that I write um, in the way that I, the the way that I know them as a writer. Um, So because it because it does have play. Um, the better you know your character, the better they're going. The smoother they're going to be in your narrative. And even if you can know a thousand things about your character that your that your reader will never know, and it's all about displaying that knowledge without giving that knowledge, so that your character, especially if you're using original characters across many different projects, to the point where your original characters start to look like to your readers like an ensemble cast that you're moving around to different projects expect you like I, I i do that in harry potter um i do that in stargate with uh matt shepherd with randolph rampart um and, and the moving them around creates uh an audience for that character so to speak right it's like you know yeah. your your readers will go oh i i'm so glad he's here and then if he's not character. there they'll be like well wait what's what's randolph rampart doing now <laughs> Is, is he okay? <laughs> I remember when I was talking a long time ago um, when I did the plotting for um, Lantean Legacy. Um, and I plotted and did a lot of the work on Lantian Legacy, the legwork, the character work, before I understood how enamored some of my readers were with Matt Shepard. Um, and so in my original draft of In the Silence, Matt was dead and I went back to write to, to work on it. And I realized what I had done and I realized that I could not put this up that way because it would hurt my reader's feelings. It didn't hurt your own feelings? A little bit. I worry about you, but it was a really tight story. I really enjoyed the story that I had written. So, um, if you'll notice in some ways, in some scenes, Matt seems tertiary. Of course, chat's back. Um, Mm um that's because i wrote him in i laced him into the narrative because in the silence was really tight and it was hard to put him in it without doing a significant amount of rewriting that i wasn't willing to do because i'd already installed out once on that series and i wanted to get that book out i wanted to get that book up there um and so i was like okay this is what i'm gonna do this is how i'm gonna do it and it'll be fine and so i did (laughs) and that's how that worked um but it wasn't uh, like, like I said. Um, so going into book three, I'm gonna have to read. I'm gonna have to redo my zero draft because Matt's not in it. He's not in any of the draft work I've done ever in any of the series work. So I'm gonna have to to redraft my zero draft for book three, four, and I don't even want to talk about book five. Cause you killed him. Well, yeah, he died with his mother. <sighs> she was in a car accident, and they died together. He was he was in the womb. I can't even with you. I mean, I understand, but I can't even with you, Lady Helder. We cannot talk about Book Five again. We have talked about Book Five twenty-two billion times. We have talked about it so much, I don't even know which plot I want to go with. <laughs> <laughs> book Five is a thing because Book Five is the first book in Atlantean Legacy that takes place on Earth, and it, it, yeah, yeah, it's Sebastian's book, and it's, um, it's also the book, frankly, where I plan to kill Jack O'Neill. And, um, sorry, uh it is what it is um and so that's a thing i warned you in advance years pr- probably even a decade in advance you've you've got time to get used to it it's a well it's a sacrifice play i think it's uh, when i conceptualized it i think it's the one thing that he would have done for his own son that he could not do but he could do it for john shepherd's son harsh though harsh very very i mean he's gonna go out like a boss oh i'm sure I forgot to close Audacity. It's making my laptop overheat. Um, so what I, what I did want to address we, we have a, an entire podcast somewhere called The Mary Sue Paradox. Um, I don't know how long ago it is, and so it was, and I'm having a hard time finding it on Castbox, although I know it's there. Well, if we have that whole channel where all those people are doing that thing, that thing with the thing, um, I'll look while you Does talk. Mean- Go ahead. Um, I did want to address, because this originally came up with kind of a, this was, we're going to do mostly like character building um, examples and how to get your characters to feel authentic and kind of some pitfalls to avoid and that kind of thing. But I don't want to kind of address the Mary Sue thing again in brief, but for more about the Mary Sue paradox um, you can find it, it, The podcast is called the Mary Sue paradox and um, it should be on whatever service you listen to Kira's podcast on. But anyway to um, so talk a little bit, Mary Sue is, is a type of character that is generally and it is it, thought of generally as a female character but it can be male they tend to call it gary stew but we'll just call it mary sue and assume that that kind of fix-it character can apply um to um to to, 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 yeah, to either gender so it's a character that is um, unrealistically perfect they have no flaws no weaknesses and they often act in a way as a as a fix it as a they come in and solve problems with a flick of their hair it's and people often React very negatively to that kind of character. And it's not just about fandom, even. When you read that kind of character in original work, people react negatively to that kind of character. Um, I actually th- I saw this big debate once about somebody saying that a canon character by definition can't be a Mary Sue. Um, but I've read original works where a character was basically functioning as a Mary Sue. They were lacking They lacking clearly the had Sam Carter. Right. They were lacking in flaws. Everything they did was fine. Um, When they did do something wrong, people didn't seem to mind it. You know, Um, I would not say Hermione is a Mary Sue because she has flaws and people hate her for it. Ron spends most of the book abusing her for what he considers to be her flaws. Harry often gets deeply frustrated with her because she bosses him around, even though, you know, she's bossing him around to save his damn life because him and Ron are morons. Um, So it's the unreasonably perfect character that, um, yeah, I I agree. I don't think Hermione was depicted as flawless, as as being flawless. Um, If there's a Mary Sue in Harry Potter, it's Ginny Weasley. Yeah. She's beautiful. She's athletic. She's perfect. Even though she was possessed by the Dark Lord in her first year, no one seems to hold it against her. Ever. Not even Harry fan 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 writers can turn almost any character into a mary sue and honestly the character they're most likely to turn into a mary sue is the main character harry potter is the most mary sue character in fandom um but that's kind of neither here nor there when it comes to fandom reacts i'll just say fandom reacts better to you mary suing a canon character than they do you mary suing an original character because why overpowered harry is one of the funnest tropes in harry potter Yeah. Well, that's because it's it's because it's entertaining, right? But the issue is, the issue with, the big issue with Mary Sue's is they don't move naturally through the narrative. They are jarring. Um, They stick out. They don't feel like they belong there. So people kind of they're hating on the they're hating on something without articulating what the problem with it is and the problem is it's jarring it throws you out of the narrative that you know this character that for doesn't belong there um is suddenly there and solving all the problems with this incredible skill set that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that she would have um you know she's 14 years old and solving crimes that 60 you know 50 year olds can't solve um with just a you know a quick internet search and um, her advanced use of social media and you're just kind of going this is is this an NCIS story or what is this I don't understand it, it's it's just because it's, it's unnatural and it, it feels contrived and it, that can be a plot device can function that way a character can be that way there are contrived plot devices there are contrived characters there are contrived all kinds of things people put in stories that don't move naturally and that's what people react negatively to is the contrivance of it so that's what you're trying to avoid is a character that doesn't flow in your story that doesn't feel like it belongs there so the biggest because the question that was asked was um originally was how did it, how do you kind of you know how do you make it a married uh, original female character without getting you know and down to the mary sue path and the biggest thing is to make sure your character belongs in the story. And then step 2 is all of your characters need to whether they're whether they're canon or fanon or a, or an original character is they need to be realistic. They need to have flaws. Um everybody's got good and bad. And so if you make your characters realistic and they serve a purpose, then that should be you should avoid the dreaded Mary Sue. And some people, however, this is just the, the caveat to that is it doesn't matter how good a job you do. Some people are going to accuse you of writing a Mary Sue no matter what you do, because that is like the fandom legacy. Fandom hated on original female characters for a long time. And that's one of the things we discussed quite extensively in the Mary Sue paradox um, is that sometimes it's not even about the, these characters people hate on aren't Mary Sue's at all. It's just fandom really sometimes for a very long time did not want to see original female characters in a story. Um, which is a deeply unfortunate sort of misogynistic legacy that we have to deal with. And it's good to fight that back. And I've, we've talked about in a couple of podcasts, I was, um, I fell, you know, I fell prey to that pressure for a long time to not put original female characters in my stories to the point that even when I needed five or six original characters in a story, I'd make them all male until all of a sudden I realized what I was doing and I went, Oh my God, what am I doing? Right. That's crazy cakes. And I stopped doing that. When I wrote Hold My Coffee, there is an episode in Hold My Coffee where John and Meredith go to a restaurant to eat. And it's a restaurant where the chef cooks at the table. And Anteldy recommended it to him because so it, so that McKay would be comfortable eating due to her food allergies, right? Um, And she was really happy to sit down at a table and be able to order anything safely. And But one of the readers of that emailed me and said, you know, I didn't realize... How much of a problem it was. How few female characters in fandom I expect to see. Until I was surprised to find both the server and the chef for Meredith and John's date was female. Because she naturally expected them both to be male. And then I thought to myself, why did I make them female? These are tertiary characters that I think I might have n- I named them on the fly. Right, um, I you know I actually think at that time we actually I, ha- I have a hunch. I think we talked about it. Maybe that it was yeah in the back of my mind percolating. That if there was no, a, no reason to make a character male to try making characters female for a while, I think we actually had like a little bit of a an effort around that for a little bit. To try to, you know, if there wasn't an explicit reason to make a character male, we would try making them female. Try the reverse of what we'd always done, right? And also, I think it's important, if there's not an explicit reason, and there really isn't, to make a character white, why not make them a person of color? I mean, what what explicit reason would there be to make them a, a, a white person? But more often than not, when you look at a fandom cast page, it's full of white people. And I'm guilty of that. A lot of times, I'm looking at canon characterization, right? But even my OCs... I'm like, so I'm trying to step away from that, which is why when we cast Omni, um, I was, I was really invested in wanting a, a female of color. um, Specifically, I wanted a black woman to play the part because it's like, can we not be so hyper-focused on, I mean, it just, it seems, the question becomes why not make them of African descent or why not make them European or Eastern European or um, from the West Indies or from China or from Japan, why not make them different than what we look at when we look in the mirror from a, you know, I'm not assuming anything about anybody else in the chat room, but myself, I'm pale. I'm pasty girl over here, (sighs) German and Irish. You you can't get much more pasty than what I got going on, except for the fact that I do have a great grandmother who's um, native American. Um, And while I inherited her bone structure, that That's all I got. There are times of the year where I'm practically transparent. <laughs> yeah, i I often don't specify, but I tend to cast in the last I tend to cast more. Um, characters of color, the original characters of color than i do um on the other hand if you've got a large original cast if that can start if all of your original characters are characters of color that can then start to skew to unrealistic so at some point you have to look at your characters and go okay i've got 10 original characters unless you're of- writing a black panther fanfic, it's <laughs> well <laughs> true specifically in wakanda and nowhere else but yeah but you know I, I think diversity is important across um orientation across gender um when I was plotting my original series, I, I, I was thinking about that and, and what I wanted to represent and what I thought was important to represent in Mar on Mars and um, the diversity that I would expect to see in an endeavor like that. Um, I'm I forced myself to get used to writing a character with with gender neutral pronouns, and I have to tell you, that's a job. It's a job because I spent my whole life he's sheing everybody <laughs> and it's uh, yeah and grammarly is a bitch about it absolutely and you know as, a, as an experiment what you could do is if you had a big original cast you could make everybody character of color make everybody um something not straight um some people non-binary some people trans um and then what you could do is go and then assess it. And then, so it's sort of like, you know, go the opposite way and go, well, I guess I better make somebody white. Um, okay. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna I, I make somebody I cisgendered. I guess I guess I'll make somebody <laughs> cisgendered, you know, kind of kind of do the reverse of what you people normally do. So, you know, go hundred percent with diversity and then go, okay, well. I guess. I guess I'll, I guess I'll, give, I guess I'll give a nod to, to a white person. I guess I'll this. put some tasty Martin Freeman in this, in this story. <laughs> okay. And I but, guess this guy can be cisgendered and on the other mind. hand, on I, I have read some fics where it's almost like, I have to say that it feels like that they are, have like some sort of side agenda with their diversity in their story. You don't want your characters, unless you're really trying to, I, I mean, unless that actually is part of the plot, the diversity, like the diversity of the, in 911 Lone Star, the diversity actually is a plot point in, 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 In the early episodes because they're working on the doj's issues with the diversity of the firehouses in texas so they lampshaded the hell out of how they were going to get a a muslim woman and a trans man and a um and a a gay dude and i mean so that they so they lampshaded how they were going to get um make this you texas firehouse be so diverse right in a really good way actually but um, unless, what, but basically what they said is we're not diverse because we wanted to be, we're diverse because they made us, but we're making right, the exactly. best of situation. <laughs> and when they, and they hire a white, a white man to do this, he goes, well, maybe I'm not the best hire for this. <laughs> you know, he, he, he pointed out the hypocrisy of them hiring a white man to staff a, you know, a more diverse firehouse. He goes, Doesn't it seem a little silly that you're hiring the, uh, the white dude for this? Um, but anyway, um, oh, not spoilers, no spoilers in this channel without, without spoiler bars. Um, but anyway, um, so what you could do is, um, I, I, yeah, sorry, that's my train of thought there, but if you're giving a, um, putting a lot of diversity in your cast, you don't need to bludgeon your reader with it because unless that is literally a plot point in your story, um, it, it can feel contri- like a, some kind of contrived distraction. One of my biggest stalling points for me in Stargate Atlantis was how they got rid of Aiden Ford. Yeah, that he was. Rough. He could have just gone home to his grandma. His grandma got yeah. sick. He went home to her. Um, that would have been fine. Did you have to make the only black man on the show an effectively addict? a drug? Basically a drug addict. I mean, he could have had, they could have had the wraith enzyme issue. He could have, um, he didn't have to get addicted to it, you know, and go seeking it out. They could have gotten him off of it after the, after the initial wraith feeding. And he just had issues because like we discussed in our plot the other night, it could have caused him a heart problem and he needed to go home. Um, But um, actually, I didn't really have a problem with Bates because Bates was, I felt like Bates was a foil for John's sort of lackadaisicalness about security. But he also wasn't necessarily a main character either. Um I, I, but Ford was written off the show by making him a a wall drug addict who went off world to hunt Wraith. Who who went off world who as I recall um let's 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 talk about the parallels. He went off world and formed a gang, a crime syndicate. Kidnapped his former team so that he could um, basically get, so secure his drug of choice. And tortured his former teen after he kidnapped nothing. Yeah. I mean, so, let, you know, so yeah, let he could have gone home to his grandma, okay? Of course, this is also the same producers of the show who told Jason Momoa he couldn't cut off his dreads because it didn't make him look exotic enough to be an alien. Mind you, they'd had plenty of they white said his people dreads aliens, make aliens who didn't look exotic. exotic. I mean, like, I like to point out, that motherfucker doesn't need a damn thing to look amazing and beautiful. And that is all he needs to do. Right. And also, how many dozens and dozens of aliens and pegasus did they have to that point who didn't have dreads and who didn't look exotic, but they were white and so nobody cared? Yeah, yeah, a noble savage. (sighs) Anyway. um, So the thing about when it comes to um, your characters, um, I, if I'm going to, I generally don't mention in my narrative. Um, my character's skin color. Um, If you want to know, you'd have to go to the casting page. If I'm going to mention it for um, any, any character, I'm going to mention it for all of them. It's just, because I actually find it really weird? Like I think authors don't realize they do this sometimes is they'll only mention the skin color of the characters of color. They don't mention the skin color of the people who are white. It's like you're left to assume all the characters are white unless their skin color is mentioned. It's like so the default in their story is white. The default in their brain is white. So um and what I would no. also like to say, tell you, um is that if you write a character of color, do not refer to their skin tone by using food as an example. Don't say they have chocolate skin. <laughs> Egg white. Don't say she's caramel or caramel or or just just don't use food to describe another person it's disgusting and it's dehumanizing reaper (laughs) tea colored it's just rude it's just it it's just it's number one honestly it's it's disgusting but also it's it's bad craft now saying someone is a cinnamon roll isn't the same thing as saying they look like a cinnamon roll, which would also be ca- tan and fluffy. <laughs> don't so don't call somebody tan and fluffy; it's rude. <laughs> covered in frosting, I guess it depends on the person. But he like, wanted them covered in frosting, oddly sticky. But it, yeah, it's just don't. That was uh, oddly I've seen. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> and distracting. It's kind of like, so yeah, um, so. Also, when somebody mentioned something thing about uh, olive being mentioned as a skin tone, um, olive is about the skin undertone. Um, the undertone with all with a uh, um, is 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 green. So when somebody said that it makes them think green, yeah, it is because its the undertone is green. Yeah, I have a pink undertone. Where oddly enough, my sister has a yellow undertone. Which actually, all you have to do is say with somebody's olive. If you don't want to use the term olive, you could just say that they're tan. You know, whatever. Um, but uh, okay, so let's um. Let's work out the the. Um, Cause we talked a little bit last night um, to wrap to kind of tie in last night to to this tonight to well to summarize what we talked about last night, so people don't have to re-listen to that podcast to get that. But when you when you're considering your which characters you need in your story, you don't want to create original characters when you have a canon character that could do the job. Um, it doesn't mean that you shoehorn a canon character into it because you don't want it to feel forced, but it's sort of like is there a canon character that could easily fill this role? If the answer is no, then you need to make a character. There's, on the other hand, sometimes it gets stretched a little too far. Like for instance, pretty much there's like two or three secondary agents we ever see at NCIS. I think we see Balboa in one or two episodes, and that guy got, a and then um, Ned Dorniget, um, we see in two or three episodes. But Ned never really caught on, I think, as a, good second, as a good canon character to fill in as an extra agent for a lot of people. I think because he didn't strike people as being super confident. And Nikki Jardine, yeah, and Nikki. Pachi died, though, so Pachi's not going to catch on. Pa- Pachi's not going to catch on unless somebody's writing first season, y'all, because he's dead. So anyway, when it comes to characters that catch on, which that get used a lot. I think Balboa is the one that's used absolutely the most, which actually is kind of surprised me because um, we see, we have more screen time with Cassie Yates. Um, Yeah. Balboa Balboa sounds like a cop, you know, (laughs) but you can only stretch that so far, right? I mean, you can't, it doesn't make sense constantly that every agent that they're going to run across at the agency that when there should be hundreds of people is going to be Balboa or, because they act like that's, they, they only have one floor in that building, um, building full of agents when they probably have ten. At least a couple. I don't know how big the I building I, is. At least a couple. Yeah, I mean, there has to be seven, eight, yeah, ten teams. Yeah, yeah, especially since that's supposed to be headquarters. But anyway, um, so there should be, uh, you know, so at some point you can't just throw Balboa at everything because that guy's got, he's, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. So there are, and also... um. I would say NCIS is one of those cases where though there are a few options to pull from, for, from Canon, it starts to feel kind of contrived that all these people who were not on the same team in the same area are suddenly, are suddenly in all on Balboa's team or whatever. So you might be able to use one of them, but the odds of you being able to use all of the characters, like you can't have Nikki and Cassie um, on Balboa's team. That is because in Canon, that just wasn't what happened. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when you, so when it comes to something like that, you probably look at it going, well, I'm going to need another team of agents. Okay. So let's say it's another team of four. So maybe you have Balboa as the lead. Well, you're going to need to figure out three agents. And maybe one of them is a secondary character and two of them are tertiary characters. So could you find a canon character to fill th- those three roles? Maybe, but it actually would feel to me like shoehorning them in. So that's where you kind of got to look at it. And there's a difference between, is it remotely possible, but it feels forced versus you know because you want to feel like it it could be natural so um it's not a matter of is it it's not a matter of is it any way there's a canon character who could do this it's a matter of is there a canon character where it would feel natural to do this and if the answer is no then you create an original character that's kind of what we talked about last night about how to tell when you need one is decide what roles you need and don't go too far i mean you don't need to staff the entire agency that's, that's a, a ridiculous amount of planning. I mean, the only reason that I would have an extensive staff at NCIS where I would expand the forensics lab, um, I don't know that you would have to expand the ME's lab because that implies that there are multiple teams that handle murder when that's probably not true. They probably dedicated maybe Balboa's team and Gibbs' team to that. And the rest are probably um, white-collar crime, um, cybercrime, because it is a... NCIS is a small agency. It's, it's, we're not talking about the FBI here. And there are multiple branches of it around the country. So they're not having to address Navy crime countrywide. Right. And we also know that because of the creation of the unit in Los Angeles, that there isn't a dedicated team in D.C. for terrorism. Because Hetty's team in Los Angeles was a, an experiment um well that's special projects that's undercover and stuff um ncis has a place on the joint terrorism task force and they have um counterintelligence they do counterintelligence work so, so they don't um, have special, like a team like a special for like a special operations team well uh special projects the implication is that the thing they did with special projects was was different um but i would imagine that there's somebody that there is a counterintelligence team in dc um at, at headquarters that specifically works um, terrorism issues, but they don't run or they're not running around doing those undercover projects and stuff. That was the whole point of that. Right. The special project. So there's team a lot still... going on NCIS that we don't see. Is that worth filling out if you're not going to use it? Because honestly, probably the intelligence they get is coming from the office in San Diego or DC, one or the other, probably that because they aren't, they aren't getting and doing the intelligence analysis themselves. They don't have enough people. So they're getting their cases from whoever's doing the actual intelligence And really, intelligence honestly, analysis. they're probably, I think that in a lot of situations, that kind of terrorism is above their pay grade. That becomes the bailiwick of NSA, FBI. Yeah, there's another, um, there's another, there's another department within the, within and, the and Department of, of course, Defense. Homeland. But there's specifically a, a group within the DOD that handles. Um, Domestic terrorism? Hand, not to, it handles terrorism in, in general. I'm trying to remember what it's called it's called. Um just saying DIA. Yeah, the, the DIA, thank you, the Defense Intelligence Agency. Um and that's that and they specifically are looking at the kind of intelligence that would probably in some cases get passed on to NCIS because they look at military intelligence and stuff. Um okay, it's like like where like where are we going to send this information? Who benefits most from this? Where are we going to get the best inve- you know in, in investigation out of? I mean and the DIA, they're the gonna DIA throw the is, right tool at the right and they are milit their military mili- DIA's military intelligence. Um, and they um are significantly bigger than NCIS's. So I think NCIS is like a th- two thousand people or something. Um Whereas um, the DIA is, um, Google sometimes you'll see writers in NCIS fandom treat NCIS like, like it's the FBI um, when it's really, really, really not. It, the DIA is almost 17,000 people. So it is huge comparatively, but not nearly as big as the FBI. So, a I mean, lot frankly, of kind of- we wouldn't know the NCIS even existed if the show wasn't on TV. Right. We would be part of those people asking the what now? what? Because the only so, reason you know about NCIS today is because of the TV show. Unless you were in the Navy. So, um, they are involved in, like, counterintelligence and that kind of stuff. But not to the large degree that it's sometimes pro- portrayed in fiction. The DIA is probably more involved in that because military intelligence is their whole thing. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that when you're sitting there and you're thinking about what do I need for my story... And you're figuring out what characters you need, you don't you you don't need to come up with character profiles for you don't need to figure out every agent that works in the building. You need to figure out how many teams realistically. Now I am working on like one project where I did need to figure out an unrealistic number of names because I'm needing there's this large number of agents at play of like 20 people. And it was just I needed to have them all named so that I could in case they needed to be named. So somebody needed to call them out by name, like take agents, this, 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 and this to go do this. Um, but most of them have no speaking part, but anyway, but sometimes, but in this case, I knew I needed, I was going to be in this situation where there'd be like 20 agents involved in this investigation. No, those are, those are all emergencies, all named characters for the most part. Those are all canon characters. Um, but this is, a, this. I'm talking about original characters. So in this particular case, I, um, came up with i had to come up with a bunch of original character names and it's more of like what team are they on what is their role what is their function so that when i would write the scene if somebody needed to call on and say okay we'll take these agents to go do this these agents will work on this um so that i would have that ready to work on but most of them are barely qualified as tertiary characters because they're not even going to have any dialogue um so it's kind of a that was kind of a planning part of like knowing what I was going to need when I was moving to the story and that there was going to be a part in the story where there were going to be a lot of agents involved in it. And it was more me knowing how many and what that looked like and what teams they were coming from to get this done. And by having that planned out, I wouldn't be flailing when I got to the writing part because any scene that involves a lot of characters, whether it's original characters or Canon characters can be difficult to juggle. And the more prepared you are for it, when you start the scene, the better off you're going to be. Um but anyway some char- some shows have a much bigger ensemble cast and in those cases you really don't need to go far beyond what's in your canon and so that they needing like let's say CSI CSI had a really big cast between their main and their secondary characters you really didn't need to insert a whole lot of original characters to get something done especially on the work front um NCIS has a much smaller a more contained cast that they never move much beyond you get a character here or there uh but beyond that and so a lot of them die so the, a lot of the characters you get die early on so we had paula and chris pacci and all those guys are dead so it's a little bit more difficult in a character that had in, in a show that has a very tight small cast and there are a lot of red shirts <laughs> yeah with a lot of red shirts and you have to then then you have to prepare to make a lot more original characters to get it to work um teen wolf suffers from lack of adults so, um, and the adults they do have don't adult a lot of times, they don't adult. Um, yeah, but I mean, like in 911 and the 911 the franchise, they'll show more of the characters, but they don't actually name them very often. I mean, if you rewatch the episode carefully, you might be able to catch somebody's name, but bizarrely, they don't actually say in the IMDb credits what that character they'll just say, unnamed character. So, and honestly, it's not worth it because the thing is, your audience isn't going to know that you managed to catch that character's name in the brief second that that character's name was mentioned they're not going to know because they're not going to remember that that John that that John and especially when it's a common name like John That, yeah there really is a John that works there because he was mentioned one time 3 seasons ago <laughs> well statistically speaking there's probably a John that works everywhere
1: <laughs> it's yeah. a
0: very common name but then sometimes you have a canon character that you have to turn just a little to fit into your alter- your AU circumstances, um, like in ties that bind. I had the option of basically I had two options in canon that I thought may could work, but only really one worked um, for the role that Sam Carter played for in 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 Rodney McKay's life. Um, there are a finite number of people who could have gotten away with what she did in the SGC. Sam Carter is is one of them, obviously um another one would have been jack o'neill could have gotten away with that kind of behavior but i had plans for him um and because of the very narrow cast in sg1 really it was i was either going to have to create an 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 original character and put them in a position of so much power in the sgc that they could do what sam carter did in ties that bind or use sam carter and in fact and frankly putting a original character in that spot it would have been jarring. I would have had a hard time believing it to write it. Because Sam Carter's circumstances are unique. They are. Yeah. In SU1. Now, while there are what you would call original villains in Ties That Bind, um Kevin Jordan being one, um, but it's not quite the same as the role that Sam Carter played in that AU. What's the opposite of Mary Sue? A regular character? A human being? I mean... Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you have to kill off a regular character to make room for an O.C., why not just use, if you have to kill off a regular character to make room for an O.C., why not just, I think you mean, original why not just character? Use the, oh, the original character? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you would. I mean, I would. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I think you guys need to stop using abbreviations because you're, you're, you're fucking me up. Um Always when you're in when when you're writing fan fiction, I think that it's best if there is a character in Canon that will suit your purposes, you should use that character. even if you have to turn them a little bit, twist them up a little bit, and so it, often you only have to turn them a little. because if you look at the characterization of Carson Beckett, it you just gotta give him a little half three degree turn to turn him into a monster because he's already an unethical bastard. So, um, yeah, someone sneezed in 1903 and, Car- and Carson Beckett turned into a monster. I mean, so it doesn't take much. But other times like in per- for instance with Faborn, what I what I hit my wall and when I realized what I had done is that I had settled on using Tyrell for this particular role, but I didn't redo her character profile to fit the AU circumstances. And that's one thing I'm going to have to do. And I know what her circumstances are. She is the offspring of an elf and Mirimus Took. And Mirimus Took was a Faeborn that, um, how do you say his name? Thandriel? Thandriel? The king. Elf king. The elf king took for a pet. He didn't, um, are you still there? Yep. I'm not hearing her at all. Am I muted? Did she go away when I wasn't? Okay, okay, sorry. I thought you were, maybe. Thandriel, Thandriel. Elf King. <laughs> so Elf King kidnapped. Not kidnapped. He took. Merimus took. Um, after he was. Uh, after his vice was. Re- after he visited the Duaro in Erebor. When he was returning home. The Elf King took him. And kept him as a pet. Um, and by the time anybody realized. What had been done. Um, it was too late for him. He 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 had basically starved. This Fayborn of Sun. Um, In his effort to keep him. Because he thought he was interesting. Um, And Merrimus was too gentle to fight back. When he could have torn that whole place apart. If he would wanted to. But he was gentle. So he didn't. And he just stayed. And he fell in love with somebody there. And they planted a garden together. And when Elrond came to get Merrimus. He didn't tell Elrond that he'd planted a garden. And he left his daughter behind. To be nurtured by her other parent. And Tyrell was born or she emerged, um, and she is half hobbit and half elf, and she's feyborn. And Thandreel El- Elking is afraid to tell anybody he has her. And he treats her very well. She gets all the sons she needs. He's he's learned from his mistake. He doesn't try to keep her as a pet. She he, she is treasured among their people, because they're afraid if they do to her what was done to Merimus, that none of them are going to make it out of alive, and they're not wrong. And so, she lives a happy life, but she's she's not getting what she needs. Yeah, meanwhile, the hobbits are cursing the shit out of Mirkwood. Um, Now, she could leave, because she's not all elf. And she wasn't technically there when the events went down with Miramis, because she was still being grown so she's not subject to the curse but she doesn't think she has anywhere to go so what's going to happen in Fayborn is there's going to be a situation that takes place where Bella has no choice but to go to Mirkwood and she goes into Mirkwood for a very specific reason um and she comes across Tyrell. And of course she's absolutely fucking furious to find out that the Elf King has managed to take another one of her kind. And she loses her temper before she realizes the genuine circumstances that are going on. But my main issue coming into this is I don't have a character profile for Tyrrell. Well, I have one for her, but not in her current circumstances. So I need to create a profile for her so I can figure out who she is. Who she is in this form. And of course she's still Keeley's one. That's why he's getting so anxious. The closer they get to Mirkwood. Or the Greenwood. Whatever you want to call it. They can feel her. That's going to be a surprise meeting. Because she's never learned to hide her wings. So. <laughs> so. You know. She's. You know. but And she's coddled and protected by. By the elves there. Um, But she's deeply unhappy. Because she's not one of them. And she's far more hobbit than she is elf. Because she was. She was cradled. And she likes to grow things. And. Um. She wants to explore, but none of them can leave with her, and they really don't even know when she's going to be an adult. Is she an adult already? <laughs> they don't know. They don't know what to do with her, and they're afraid to tell anybody that they have her. No, no one knows that she's there. If anyone knew that she was there, Elrond would have already come and got her. Because Elrond vowed to protect the hobbits and the feyborn as long as there was a feyborn on Middle Earth. Elrond won't ever sail because of um, because of Thandriel's right crimes. He will never sail because of Fandriel's crimes he has given up his that opportunity so as long as there's a faeborn on Arda he will he will not sail and so if he knew that she was in those woods he'd already gone and got her so no one knows that she's there because they have to wonder what they would suffer if she was revealed well they're about to find out well but she's sort of a secondary character though isn't she right i mean she's not a primary character yeah i mean no i mean she is she is a secondary character but she is a pivotal plot point okay i'm gonna spoil it for you guys a little bit what's gonna happen is that they are skirting around the edge of Merkwood because bella refuses to go on elf land um and the elves see her but they also see thorin and they try to take him because of the dragon but they miss and they get keely instead and they drag him into the woods and bella makes thorin promise that he will not go into the woods he will not go into the forest because she thinks if he does he'll die that that is the path to madness for him and he will not recover from it because of all the damage they've done to those woods. And she agrees to go in and get his nephew back. Meanwhile, they have inadvertently given Keely a mortal wound. And the moment Terrell sets eyes on him, she realizes that he's her destiny. She's been seeing him in visions because she's Faeborn and she sacrifices her grace to save him. And so now Bella has got a half-elf Faeborn who no longer has grace. Keely, and a whole bunch of elves to deal with. And so it's a very pivotal plot point because she's broken an oath to herself to never set foot on Elfland. Um, Keely has almost died, despite what she promised, Thorin, and she's face to face with her cousin, because Merrimais was her cousin as well. Um, so this is his co- so, so this is Merrimace's daughter. They didn't know, and so now she's having to deal with all this, plus the guilt of having curse the shit out of the land that one of her own has lived on since her birth. Because Terrell has never known anything but the cursed land of Mirkwood. Even the air is cursed. So that's some shit. So she's not, so she is a minor character, much like all the other characters moving around Thandriel and not Thandriel, but Thorin and Bella. But she's pivotal. Yeah, Bella's having a real bad day. (laughs) Because she's also having to come to terms with what her revenge has wrought. Not just hers, but the revenge of all of her kind, because she wasn't even born when Miramis was died. But like all of her kind, she deeply resents what was done to him. And so basically from the moment that she could conceptualize what was done to him, she's gone out of her way to make life m- miserable in Mirkwood. As miserable as she possibly could. Including traveling there upon her adulthood to lay her own curse. With the sole purpose of cursing him and his land and the trees. And the other people that live there. <laughs> so there's a lot of guilt there. So yeah. But I don't have a character profile for Terrell. I don't know who her other parent is. I don't. I mean. I assume that she's short and redheaded. Th- that's pretty much all I got. in female. You know. What's her personality? Does she resent the other hobbits for not knowing about her? For cursing the shit out of the land that she's been forced to live on since her birth? How old is she? Because I don't think I gave a time period on when Merrimus lived. And how long the Markwood has been cursed. So I need to go back and look at that because that's important because that demonstrates how old Terrell is. Is Terrell technically an adult? She would be an adult by Hobbit standards, but what did her elf history, you know, heritage do to her? She's taller than a Hobbit, but is she taller than a dwarf? I mean, if she's got wings, that indicates that her Hobbit heritage is pretty dominant, right? Not necessarily. Well, the mythology around it is that Faeborn only come to the Hobbits. That no one is because the purity of their heart and nature and y- Yavanna and all that stuff. So, how much Hobbit would she have to be to qualify as a Feyborn? At least half, right? So, what does that mean for her appearance? What did he take from her in his heartstone? I guess the question becomes: Is do do Hobbits breed true? I read an interesting Hobbit fic once where Hobbits didn't breed true, and if they bred with a Like Bilbo had several children with Thorin and they were all entirely Dwaro, which has some ugly implications because if a lot of people knew that hobbits could do that, especially the Dwarrow, that could result in a lot of them being kidnapped and used for, that's, that's a really ugly ripple. I mean, but it's, it's ugly the other way too, to say that, you know, it's always going to be, if a hobbit has a baby with somebody, it's always going to be a hobbit. Right. So But I think she's a mixture of both, but how much of a mixture? And when are elves mature versus, like, a hobbit would be mature at 33, whereas uh, a dwarf is around 60-ish for physical maturity, like completion, like the end of puberty, so to speak. It's between 50. they're battle ready in their 50s? I think they're battle ready in their 40s actually because they, I think they can actually go to battle in their 40s um but they're not considered a full adult until their mid 60s if i remember correctly is that like a legal thing like they're not legally an adult like you can go fight but you can't drink and you can't vote <laughs> and you can't own I property i know when, when I, I know what i was researching <laughs> researching about uh uh, Dwaro, there were multiple ages of maturity, and um, there were two adult uh, two adult ages, and then the the date that you could go to battle was completely different from those. But it probably also could do with crafting. Like at this age, you can train for combat, and at this age, you can pick your mastery, and at this age, you can get married. You know, so it's not really about it's about giving them stages goals. Uh, physical puberty is generally complete by their fiftieth year for for um, for elves. So, if she's over a hundred, then she's mature. She's an adult. So, I do need to know how old she is. What will it mean for her that she sacrificed her grace? Will she age naturally at this point? Will she have the lifespan of a hobbit going forward? Will she live a little longer because she has elf blood, even without her grace? Does the Feyborn are long lived, depending on their destiny? So, what is what becomes Terrell's destiny after that? So, you know, these are things, these um, um, these are questions that I have to ask myself um, when creating the profile for her in Fayborn. It's very different than the one that I made when she got reincarnated into a dwarf dam. I think I'd want to give them a similar lifespan. Keeley's in his sixties in The Hobbit, seventy ish, seventy. He is seventy seven in The Hobbit. Okay, so I'd want to give them a similar lifespan if I'm going to make them basically soulmates, which is that's what the one thing is in in Dwarrow. But these are all decisions that I need to make before she ever appears on screen. Frankly, they are decisions I should have made during the Zero Drafting stage for me. That's where my process is for character development, but I already have a character profile for her. So I just tossed it in the folder with my other character profiles and I never edited it, which is crazy cakes. Well, no, because sometimes when we're reusing a character, we don't consider that we need to change their, um, okay, they're battle-ready at 30, they come of age at 40, they're adult between 65 and 75. Well, I'm of the opinion if they're not an adult until 65, then they're battle-ready at 65. It's just my personal opinion. (laughs) Well, you just go tell all those dwarf kings that. (laughs) I will. How dare you take babies into battle? What the fuck's wrong with you? That's half an adult age. That's just really ridiculous. In canon, Terrell is Sylvan. Um, she won't be Sylvan in this, unless her parent was. I mean, I haven't even decided if her parent is male or female because it doesn't matter because she was nurtured in a cradle, um, an earthen cradle. So, um, her partner could be male. I briefly considered making her, um, her father Legolas, but that's kind of weird because of canon movie thing. Um, but in the Shield well, Maiden want- of Erebor... Legolas had a crush on Merry. Took. If you want to so. use this, see, if you want to use the same actress, you should probably pick a sylvan elf so that you can justify the same coloring. Mm, true. True. If you want to re- otherwise you're going to need to recast. In I which do case, like the casting, and also because you just pick the picture. She's already got pointy ears. Yeah. You know. So I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go on this little tangent as more of a character discussion, not to pick at Kira's story, but so. So like, let's say you're at this decision point. Okay. So you've got a character, that's, Toriel's got completely different um, parentage, and then you recast. At which point is it just an original character with the, with, with the same name? So I think it's some point- I think the point, moment that I recast, she'd be original character and I should just stop pretending otherwise right so that's why that's kind of like when you when you get to the point that you're recasting a character as well as changing their circumstances that's the point at which you're you're moving firmly and kira knows this but i'm saying this you know for the benefit of the making an oc podcast at that point you're making an oc and you, you need to name them probably just abandon calling them toriel and move on um but you know it does help simplify your decisions if you want to have the same actress you want to um and so you want to use the same look, then that says, okay, I'm going to use a Sylvan elf because I want to have, it, it helps explain why she looks the same. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I do want to use her. because I, I really, I don't want to, I like the circumstances and I like the character. I could easily make an OC. I'm very comfortable doing it. You are, but you, you're, this is, you're, is this going to be Keeley's romantic interest? Um, yes. And you've got a whole big plot point about that. And um, you're doing a parallel to Canon um, where Keeley and Toriel were very, um, uh, they seem to be faded in, in Canon, at least, you know, in the movies, they had very good chemistry, the whole love at first sight thing. Yeah. So I could see why you would use this character in that capacity because it becomes a plot point around Keely, even though it's sort of a, it becomes part of a subplot and that they're both effectively secondary characters. Um, but mm-hmm. that's one of those things you have to kind of rein yourself in on because at some point you could venture so far out of, um, you in the generic sense, not you, Kira. Um, you could venture so far out of um, anything relating to parallels to canon or whatever that everybody starts to feel like an original character. You know? Which is exactly why I didn't yeah. think Or, you know, like ha- the classic Harry Potter has moved to the United States, and he's blonde and got blue eyes. And his name actually isn't Harry Potter anymore. He's his, he's changed his name to something else. And effectively, and he doesn't have magic, and he's running a cafe at what point? How is this Harry Potter? And we've all run across that story. We've all run across that non-magic AU with a Harry Potter that is played by a different actor who doesn't go by the name of Harry Potter and yet we're supposed to believe that this is Harry Potter. Look, look, if I'm going to read Harry Potter, there be some, there better be some fucking magic, okay? That's the whole point. If I want to read a story about a barista who doesn't have magic, I'll go read a human AU of Teen Wolf. <laughs> That's right. Um... <laughs> But you know, if there comes a which honestly I don't like that either. <laughs> I I can do it but it has to be a very certain circuit That's be a really good reason for it to be a human AU. Like it's it's Sentinel and Guide or whatever. Um but cuz Sentinel and Guide and Werewolf I get. That's a complicated mix. So if you chose to dump the werewolves so that you could give us, you know, Sentinel and Guide, I understand. I'll probably read it. I'm just, you know. But at some point when you take a character and you twist them so far outside of their canon circumstances, you just got to own the fact that you've created an OC. So um, and just changing somebody's parentage, I don't think is enough. To, it, that's not a necessarily a huge twist. Uh, but that when you, when you, then if you recast them and you, cause sometimes we recast a character because, um, like the, we don't want to deal with the controversies of the actor who plays the character originally. That's pretty much the only reason I would recast a character. I, ca- I can't think of any other reason I've ever done it is recast over canon casting. Um, I guess the only reason I've ever done it. No, no. No, she's too old. I Wait, um I mean um, you could do I, a, I, go ahead. Someone like Evangeline Lily or um um oh I'm blanking um the girl who played uh um Captain Marvel. Why am I blanking on her name? Bree Larson. Bree Larson. Um Larson Yeah, Bree Larson. Um I would like to see a I would love to see Kara doing recast. I don't want to lose the character. Well and I've already posted on Dream With about this. Um I would like to see someone um uh, Strong with a good pre- like a good screen presence with a good grasp, um, just kind of badass, but also feminine and strong. And because um, often in Star Wars we get these really, I'm not trying to diss her, but she's really tiny. And I would just like to see a woman with some curves and some muscles, like we got from the actress who turned out to be. Um, and so <laughs> I really like seeing an alternate an alternative body type cast in a character like a female character in Star Wars because we for a long time we only got that one thing so I would like to see it recast but I doubt I think they'll probably just ride her out and we'll never see her again yeah it's too bad or they could do something like Gabrielle Union Um Gabrielle Union would be an awesome choice she's very athletic Um I think you need a very athletic um, act would need somebody very athletic to step into that role so this has nothing to do with body, but this gives me Cara Dune vibes totally. I'm digging it. Katie Sackhoff. Is that, is that how you say her name? Sackhoff? Sackhoff? uh uh-huh. Yes. She's already on a Mandalorian show. She she played Bo-Katan Cariz, who is the former Mandalore of... She was the former leader of Mandalore, the planet. So she's already playing a Mandalorian and doing a boss-ass job of it. <laughs> how tall is Gabriella Union? I have seven. I dig it. I was thinking someone like her or Eva Mendez would be awesome. Um, oh, Eva and, Mendez would be good too. In, um, yes, Bo Katan was the um, the sister of Satine, um, and Satine was the empress of, of Mandalore. Um, Bo Katan became the Mandalore, the, the, Mon, the, Mon, Mon, the Mondo, Mandal, Mandalore, ever how, ever how you say it. Um, when she got the dark saber duchess when she got the dark saber from uh sabine wren she eventually lost the dark saber during the purge of mandalore um but uh yeah she was she she was actually the leader twice once through appointment and once by gaining the dark saber and driving out darth maul's forces i think something like that. Uh, there's, there's a problem because you don't know. I can't remember actually what is Legends content now and what is from uh Rebels. Is Rebels considered Legends or is it canon? See, Star Wars is a hot mess. Okay, it's just a hot mess. But Bo-Katan was the leader of Mandalore at one point. Right, yeah. And if you wait five minutes, they'll retcon it and then none of that happened. Um, I think Lupita... Lup, how do you say her name? Lup, Lup, Lupita? Lupita Neon? I think I think she's too. I mean, she's beautiful, but I think she's too small. She also her face is very sweet. She got a very sweet face. She does. We need some resting bitch face. Yeah, we definitely need resting bitch face. Cara Dune has got epic resting bitch face. What's really interesting about Bo-Katan in Mandalorian season two, and I don't want to do any spoilers because Julie hasn't watched it yet. um, She uses this. There are several moments when she does things that are completely contrary to what. Den would prefer that she do. And she'll look at him and get this look in her eye and she'll say, this is the way. Which I am fast becoming to believe that this is the way is actually, fuck you, I'm gonna do what I want. So, yesterday I told my husband, I said, I'm I'm gonna go do this. And he's like, are you sure? I said, this is the way. (laughs) I have spoken. (laughs) I've spoken. This is the way. (laughs) Yeah, this is the way. I do what I want. (laughs) But, um, I am actually 100% on board with the casting of Gabrielle Union. 110. Bring it on. Yeah, it, I, I guess it could be considered a low-key challenge. Do you want to find out about it? So you want to do a character profile? Yep. We're going we're gonna to go through and do okay. Toriel. Is that how you say her name? Because I always say Toriel, but I guess I'm saying that wrong. Toriel? Toriel, yeah. Like, L'Oreal? <laughs> Maybe sure. it's Maybelline. Sure. <laughs> You could say it rhymes with L'Oreal. <laughs> Toriel. Yeah, you pronounce the the two the two-second vowels, as far as I know, are pronounced separately. So Toriel Took, Warren would be her name, age. That's a question. I need to figure out in my timeline when Mirimus Took went to... He went to warn them about the dragon and was dismissed by Thorin's grandfather. So ladies that are saying that's 147 years. So let's say she was she was in the ground for a year cuz that cause that's my headcanon that, that they grow in the ground for a year. Um so let's say she's around 146 ish 140 yeah so let's, let's say 146. Female, hair color is red. Eye color. Let me look up You me look up her eye color. I I guess I need all her stats. All okay, her stuff. I get it for you um so she's played by evangeline lily um she's five foot six and her eye color is hazel so we'll give her hazel eyes but her height will be different although some sites some sites say her eyes are green so but i see this a lot with people who have um hazel eyes Is sometimes um yeah my eyes are technically hazel and sometimes they're blue and sometimes they're green Sometimes hazel eyes will appear more brown. It just depends upon. Yeah, if I have if, if I'm running a fever, they're like aquamarine. Yeah, they get really to, bright. Yeah, see that that make that picture makes her eyes look brown. If you look at this, um, if you look at the image on this pin, her eyes look really, really green here. Yeah. Um. No, this look at the look at the pin that I just the the okay. Pinterest thing I just put up. It's it's a gift, but um. Yeah. So you could you could get away with saying hazel. You could get away with saying green. Um. In Small Magic, I have a whole thing about the company's height and weight that won't do me any damn good because it's not because she's half Hobbit. Yeah. I mean, so the actress is 5'6", which they probably stretched it to probably make her look like she was more like 5'10 or something in the movie. So you could probably get away with having her be about, I would guess, 5'1", foot, something like that. Because there's no way that she looked five foot six in. No. So the average hobbit is three foot six. Um- so maybe five feet tall. That would still put her probably a good ten inches or more below any of her elven counterparts. Or she could be four and a half feet tall. They're so cute. Honestly, it's adorable. My guess is they're trying to say she's about eight inches taller than him. Head is about. So he's. A- she's a full head taller than him. Um, I don't care if she's still taller than Keely, but I do want it to be realistic that she's half, you know, because she's kind of half and half. So I don't really care, um, because I don't think he cared how tall she was. He, okay, I don't think it emasculated him at all that she was taller than him. He's like, I'm gonna climb that. <laughs> I don't think that 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 they worried about getting emasculated. I don't think that the kind of gender that kind of gender norms bothered them at all. No, yeah, he definitely wanted to climb on that. Um. You could make him the same height if he's four foot six. She could make her four foot six. I mean, I think it's probably a a reasonable-ish height for her mixed heritage. So I think she probably would be not on the plump side that Hobbit's fair, maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't I mean, know. She could, she could be curvier, or a little bit curvier than an elf, but maybe not as, as curvy. So at as four a... foot six, what would be a good weight? Curvy, but not like not super slender. So in my chart because somebody on Reddit did something really interesting, and they talked about the height and weight of dwarves, Dwaro, and what would be healthy or not. And this is—I I, I copied this chart. Um, and this is related to dwarves and their height. Um, so I don't—I don't think she'd be much over a hundred pounds at that height with her elf heritage. But I wouldn't want her to be weirdly thin either. You know, I don't—I don't want that to stand out as a character—characteristic. And this is something, you know, honestly, you need to think about with your characters. Are you making them um, unrealistic looking? Are you making them, are you trying to force on them an ideal that you have in your brain that doesn't actually make sense? Because you don't literally want to create Barbies. Even if you are kind of creating a little living doll in your head that that you can play with and make make them do what you want. (laughs) I just found a couple of adorable pictures of her. Okay. (laughs) I'm all about it. Show me. (laughs) That is the cutest thing. She looks so tiny. (laughs) She looks like a little fairy sitting on a window seal. (laughs) And in these pictures, she's not quite as ripped as she usually is because she usually is like, you know, she's got it like she's got that body fat like down she's usually very toned she's all relaxed and wearing a fluffy dress but i did think she she'll probably have little gold wings so one of the things that you would do in a situation like this with this generic profile that i gave you guys because she's not human you would add you would take away some things that just don't apply um and add others that would apply How do you spell gossamer? Because I'm pretty sure I just misspelled the shit out of gossamer. Gossamir. I totally, yeah. I don't even want to tell you what I put in there. Um, (laughs) I knew what I meant. She could have brown hair from if my head canon that Meramis was redheaded, but she could have brown hair from her elf parent. But I think it's kind of like canon that the Sylvan elves had red hair. Yeah, well, changing right? hair color. Yeah, changing hair color in a picture isn't a big deal, though. If you want to use those pictures, we could change her. So let's put her at a round. L- let's make her a little curvy. Let's make her hundred and ten pounds, cause she is half hobbit. Um, so I would say that she has a, you know, she's that's quite curvy. That's like fifty percent. Is that too curvy? Okay. Well, the upper end of the ideal body weight for somebody who's female at four foot six would be seventy five pounds. So that's the upper limit on ideal. So Ideal. maybe 85, 85, 90, Yeah, you could go there because that way cause I, that, that would be a mixture of muscle and kind of carviness because she would have to have a lot of muscle in her back to fly, and because she's yeah. never hidden her wings, she's probably quite flight ready, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would just think of it in terms of percentages of her ideal weight range rather than a weight target. So yeah, I'm you not look- going to actually like say how heavy she is, you know? Oh, I is- know. But, but I mean, in terms right. of thinking about it, if you're thinking of, like her 75, if 75 is the m- most ideally that she would weigh without the muscles and the wings and stuff. Um, and you might say, okay, let's add 20%. That's only going to add- 20% is quite for, and most people. Like, let's say you weigh hundred, your ideal weight is 150 pounds. You tack on 20%. You're talking about gaining 30 pounds. Um, but for her, you're talking about gaining fifteen pounds. So that would be ninety. Okay. So I'll just put ninety and then I'll put um curvy and a little muscular because of her wings. But again, like this is this is information for me, not necessarily information that will end up in the narrative. Um because I need to have a good visual of what she looks like. How she's going to move in scenes. How she's going to walk around. Um, I have her at 4'6". Because I do think probably the average Hobbit height is for male Hobbits. Since they don't even introduce us to any female Hobbits until Lord of the Rings. And we don't even get to meet any female Dwaro at all. Well, but I mean, uh, it's interesting. One of the things that that people tend to get a full on when it comes to you know the way traits come out you don't tend to like cut a trait there's you don't tend to cut the difference on a trait right so like um you know if you've got if you've got one parent who's got blonde hair and one parent who's got black hair you don't come out with light brown hair you either come out usually with blonde or black hair um if you've got one parent who's tall one parent who's short you usually come out either tall or short you don't it's not usually like it's a cut the difference sort of thing you pick up one trait or the other Um, and I see stories where it's written like, like, like DNA splits the difference in the children. Like, you know, parent has green eyes. One parent has green eyes. The other parent has blue eyes and the child has, you know, green eyes rimmed with blue. And it's like, that's not the way DNA works. It's just silly. Um, so typically, you know, you, you, you know, there's like, there's a reason why two of my siblings have my father's hair color and I have my mother's hair color. Yeah, I am, um. I look, me and my, me and my sister, this is really interesting. Me and my sister have my mother's eyes. All of my sister's kids have my mother's eyes. Yeah. Right so, I road. mean, I mean, in our family, in our family, there's been no splitting the difference on height. Either you're tall or you're short. That's the there's same been, in my family. There's nobody that is, the, even, even when somebody marries somebody who's short, like a tall person marries a short person, the kids either come out tall or short. And maybe it comes out sometimes, that a kid will come out sort of in between, but. Generally, you don't, kids don't split the difference when it comes to genetic traits. They don't get a little bit from, you get one, tra- you pick one tree. It's not like you get all dad and all mom. You get some of mom and some of dad, but you get, you know, your hair is mom and your eyes are dad or whatever. It's not like you get a little bit of mom's eyes and a little bit of dad's eyes. That's weird. Tatario isn't in the book. She is only in the movies. And, uh, you know, honestly, there are a lot of background elves in the book that are never introduced. And there have to be female elves living in Mirkwood, obviously. Um, and my so sister, it, my sister just texted what? me and said, five foot six is normal height, Not in our family. <laughs> is she feeling judged? Because I am. I'm only five four. And I feel, you know, judged. <laughs> my mother inverted her height. He's six foot five. So, um, so she was born in. Now, see, while everybody else calls that forest Merkwood, she would she would probably, and all the people there would probably still be calling it Greenwood. The, um, Greenwood. Um, she's living in the Greenwood. Um, living arrangements. My point about all that was, she's probably either a little taller than a hobbit or a little shorter than an elf, but she's probably not literally cutting the difference right. between the two because that's not the way genetics work. You don't cut you don't split the difference between your parents. So I I do I I honestly do think that she probably would be short because of the Feborn. Um I think that she has to present more as hobbit than she does elf because of the mythology around faeborn. And when you're introduced to Bella in faeborn they're all like think, what the hell are you? I think the and best she, actually I think the best argument for her being short actually is that if that the wings would have developed if she was too tall uh, right, I don't think she'd be able to fly. Right, so she, it, you know, her body, her body mechanics or whatever, her physiology was structured around the wings. So her muscular development probably went to her back, her back muscles, so that she could fly as opposed to building height. So her father is Merimus Took Faborn. That's one of her fathers. I, I honestly, I think I want to give her two fathers. Um, so so you're gonna have to. You have to I'm to be on name and- generator. You have to name a secondary character who's an elf, or a tertiary character who's her father. Did they give her a last name in the movie? Who, Toriel? Yeah. Not that I'm aware of. Toriel was a wood elf of Mirkwood, the captain of the Elven Guard of Thranduil's woodland realm. Um, she is a non-canonical character invented not by Tolkien, but by Peter Jackson. So her name literally means daughter of uh, daughter of the forest. I don't think we know anything else about her. There's nothing on the wiki. Okay, I will be right back. I need to go check on out. Okay, I was trying to think of elf last names, and the only one that really popped in my brain was Greenleaf, and that's that's Legolas's last name. But that's that's like a that's a use name, right? Or is that because it's not like okay? So he's Legolas Greenleaf because his name literally means Greenleaf. Wow, that's original. Oh, that's a little rude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tolkien. I didn't mean it. So he's Greenleaf Greenleaf. Yeah. Okay. Hello, Bri you asked a question last night um and I did not answer it but this is a good time to answer it um uh, where was that question I asked the question you asked them the question you asked last night where was it um how do you decide to share ocs do you give a brief of what your oc can do when you hand them over um I've never made the decision to share an oc it is part of my permission page but people ask me um the fact of the matter is is I have no control over that I can ask people to be very careful in how they treat Matt Shepard in content that they use because of the circumstances um, around the death of the real Matt Shepard. And I did not name my character after him. I um, I didn't even make the connection, even though the last name is spelled different, until someone asked me if I named my character after the, after the real Matt Shepard. But once the connection was made between um, the Matthew Shepard that was killed. And my original character, I did ask people to treat him with a great deal of respect, and for the most part, that's been honored. There, there was one incident where it was not, and it was actually, honestly, kind of devastating. And I was physically ill after reading what I read, what was written. you can't control what other people do with your original characters in fandom. Because people are already doing that with other people's original characters. I'm doing it every damn day with original characters. Um, so it would be hypocritical for me to tell other fanfics from ours they can't use my OCs. And a lot of times people might not even... I actually had somebody email me and apologize for using my OC because she got some she got bitched at in her comment section for not crediting me. And the reason she didn't credit me is that she didn't realize it was an original character. So she wrote me and apologized for using my OC and I said, it's perfectly fine. You can totally use my OC. You don't even have to give me credit but if it will make people stop being mean to you go ahead and do it. And, t- and if anybody asks, tell them I'm perfectly okay with it and it's fine. <laughs> the the most um, that's actually is the best reason to give somebody credit on something like that is to keep yourself from getting bitched at and to save the person whose character you're borrowing from getting a bunch of emails saying that you stole their character because that's a hassle and a half too. the last time somebody emailed me and told me somebody stole my character. I just sent them a link of my, of my permission page because I'm not having that conversation repeatedly over and over and over and over again. And it actually wasn't even the character of Matt Shepard. It was Roselle. In, in Harry Potter, now Ragnock is a character mentioned once or twice in the books. He is someone that Bill knows in the bank, but we don't even know who he is. And everybody uses Ragnock. Everybody, yeah. I, mean, I yeah. I I rarely see a um, story that has the bank featured where Ragnarok is not one of the characters they call him because they're looking for any named um, bank employee. Right. So that- my original um, diverger characters, because I'm not using that G word anymore. And I was actually reading Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. And every time the G word came up, I cringed. Oh, I'm going to have to edit all of my Harry Potter works to get the G word out. It's, it's so offensive. Um, so Roselle, Tyr Warhide, <laughs> Lenore, Sharprock, those are my those are my OC diverger. Oh, and will miss because Omis. Miss. <laughs> now the thing about the thing about specifically Sharprock, I'm gonna call mention that one, is that I've had SharpRock come up in a name generator. So which is probably where I got it from, to be honest. So Lenore is more specific. Tier Warhide is very specific. Um, but Sharp Rock is actually generic enough in terms of it, it comes up in um in in a um in certain name generators, um, it comes up both for, uh, I think, dwarf name generator.
1: Yeah, maybe? probably. I
0: don't where I got it from. Um, sometimes I will create a character and then name them last. I did that with Zir. I created my character and then I was like, what am I going to do with this? I need to, and I went and looked up God of Sorcery, God of Magic. I got Zanitra, the black dragon. I attached it and moved on. I like Stone Fist. That's a great one. I might use that one day. Remind me if you see it and I'll give you credit cuz I will forget where it came from. <laughs> I can't be trusted. Um I mean Tyr alone is a is a god in um he's a wolf god, right? In a, a Norse and I believe also German mythology. So, mm-hmm. um just as a name by itself it doesn't mean anything. Oh, um, and I have my female my female diverger in all the world, um Fire axe. What's but last case? names are important but like the name lenore is unusual enough that if somebody had a female diverger even if they called it by the g name name lenore that would be, and they it would that would be a weird coincidence yeah but the thing is, is i don't care yeah yeah um well care may not care i i don't actually like it when people borrow my ocs without without credit it, it does bother me so if she's she's definitely taking the higher road than i am on that one um i've never well, not i can't maybe, control it and if i get bent about it every time it happens i would be bent a lot Especially when people don't even know that Matt Shepard's not an OC. Well, that part is—it's the not knowing. That's the part I wouldn't mean. You didn't really. I'd be more like, you didn't know that was an OC. Well, gee, I'm kind of flattered. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) But yeah, she um, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, actually, I mean, I, I, I would not like have a fit about it. I certainly wouldn't even—I wouldn't go chase people down and say something about it. But I would—I wouldn't like it. You know. I mean, I appreciate credit right? And um, honestly, the, a- the attribution saves me hassle because people do write me about it. And also, sometimes people write me and say, hey, you know, so-and-so used this, this, and this from your work, and they didn't. I mean, basically, I had someone who used most of the major plot points in the same exact order of one of my stories. They didn't even mention me. <laughs> didn't even come up. They used Sharp Rock, too. You know, just, you know, just use all my shit. Just use my entire plot, point for point. It was like, the pace was the same. The scenes were different, like you know, they didn't literally plagiarize me, but they certainly lifted my plot beat for beat. Yeah, I did a short that somebody lifted it literally beat for beat. It was it, it was the exact same story rephrased with two different characters. I don't mean <laughs> it was so ugly. <laughs> it was like they took two different characters and put it in the story, and then just rephrased everything. Um, it 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 was not subtle how similar they were. And there was a poem that featured very prominently in the story, and they picked mm-hmm. a different poem. Well, that's good of them. It actually, and because, honestly, they should have taken the poem out because the poem being in there really made it even more transparent that they had lifted the entire story. I was okay, like, so I believe What else? What else? Oh, oh, the uh, <sighs> Daddy Elf. Daddy Elf. I feel like he named her. Would he've given her a Hobbit name. Well, I have her name currently as that. I think that he definitely would have given her Merrimus's name. So we're looking but, for his name, though, right? Right. But I feel like he would have wanted to give her a little bit of himself as well, right? You know. So that's why Terrell That I said that wrong again. Toriel. Toriel. I'm. I'm the worst. Um, like the makeup. Like the makeup. Toriel. 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 Um, so I I feel Absolutely. like that I, I want to keep her canon name obviously I don't really like renaming canon characters if I can avoid it. One of the things that was a stumbling block for me when I was plotting um, the zero draft part of my November story was the fact that I would have to give Harry a different last name. So I picked one that made sense, Pe- Peverell, Um, because that makes sense, right? It's it's part of his lineage. Um, but it was <laughs> you know? and sometimes I'll name him Potter Black if he gets adopted. Fine, but. To remove Potter from Harry Potter's name is, yeah, I'm there, Hurst, um is Icky. <laughs> That's very mature. <laughs> Check me out being mature. <laughs> I've been through like 15 screens of elf names and I've only seen two that I like. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's. Um, okay, here's here's the only two I've come up with that I like. I would say that Adia and uh, Aelithir I'm like, can, I like Aelithir but I'm never going to be able to pronounce that consistently. Are you going to be able to pronounce any? Which is probably else true for most name? of the names. Come on now,
1: <laughs> I can the say list. Names...
0: If no. I'm saying it wrong, don't let me know. You know you're saying it right. Okay, I would think oh. this would be pronounced Muron or Murion. Oh, the I is in the wrong. Actually, you could do it that way though. Ellendor. That's nice. Ellendor. I like that. So I'm not talking to you. Hush your face. Okay, not you. I. I don't worry about names being close, and in, in, uh and in, since they didn't, you got Keeley and Feely. I mean, with all the all the names <laughs> being close, that's practically a Tolkien tradition. <laughs> Sauron, Saruman. <laughs> I mean, could he have foreshadowed that shit any harder? <laughs> yeah, she just pointed out the Sauron, Saruman. Let's not get into the whole the the Rohan the, the people in Rohan. Um, there had they had a lot of very similar Theodrin and tell Theodred them apart. and. Um, they're, I mean, come all the same same on. To me. They're all the same. So I mean, names being similar means like next to nothing, especially so, for a character, especially for a character who's not even in the story. Does he need a last name? No. Okay. I think she's got the name, um, so we're moving on. None. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Ellendor. No siblings. I don't. She's not. Of course, she's not married. But I don't think she has. I don't think. I. I think she's open to possibilities. So I don't think she cares what Philly's got in his pants. <laughs> Um, no children, no pets, cause weird. Um, I would say, let's, let's see, instead of education, we'll do training. Um, now in canon, she was trained for the guard. Um, she was an orphan and a Sylvan elf, right? So she's kind of like Elf King's charity project, mm-hmm. which is why he didn't want her getting with his son. Um, so training i think that they would have trained her to defend herself so let's let's give her back her bow so she has you know she's an archer she's trained in archer she's um they probably tried to seek out information for her about the land and about gardening To because i do think she was basically like we have to treat her like she's the best thing we've got because we don't want to get that wrong again i think that um her elf parent faded but probably stayed on long enough for her to be an adult. Um, so, why the hell have I misspelled his name? I put the R in the wrong place. Okay. Um, that That's probably her only, like, combat training would be archery, you think? I, mean, I, I imagine she's, you know, she can ride a horse. You know, she's got that going on. She Knives. I imagine she's, you know, they've probably... Well, yeah, I mean, she, she's got a lot going on. And she can probably fly. fly although, she probably drove them all nuts she's, trying to learn how to fly. Can you imagine that? She's not the captain of the guard. She's not the captain of the guard. This is a completely different set of circumstances. There's no reason. There, I, why would they make her captain of the guard? She's. She, they would never put her in that position because if she dies on his land and anybody finds out about it, so right. But we, we gotta. We gotta. You gotta separate what she was like in canon from so like the fact that she was able to use knives in canon doesn't necessarily mean that this Toriel would be able to use knives. I mean, she probably can, but. Um, she's I think not they want her sh- to be able to defend herself, but you know, because Legolas is but, not there, so in a lot of she- ways, Sandra will probably focus a lot of his overprotection on her, right? But she's not going to be as skilled as she was in the movie because they'd have had to have let her no. out and had her running around in the forest, killing spiders and crap, um, in order for her to be that skilled. And she's just not going to be. I would say, yes, yeah, that she's definitely can use a bow, and um, she probably has you know, ba- yeah, basic self defense, right? You're right, start. Um, she probably doesn't a lot about the land. She's probably been reading a lot. She could probably garden. Her father would have wanted her to have that. So that well, it could be part hob- of... You know. Her hobby. inclination would probably... She'd gravitate towards the garden. She'd probably feel a real connection to the earth. Okay. So just, you know, just general stuff. Um, yeah, that's a problem. I don't know how much gardening she would have actually done considering how cursed the circumstances are. But she might be interested... I imagine that her elf parent hated him, hated the king. Yeah, Um. but he couldn't leave because of the curses, so he couldn't take her away. I imagine she could talk to trees, but she wouldn't be talking to the trees in Mirkwood because the hobbits drove them insane. They woke, well, no, they woke the evil trees up. (laughs) Look at, look at chat first. yeah. Uh, You know. I would imagine that her learning to fly would have been the most anxiety-inducing exercise for every single person there. Except her. Because she would trust her wings. Yes, yeah, she would. But they'd be all be running around with a net under her. <laughs> There's a line in um, a story I read once where Bilbo said that hobbit children running around like little packs of animals. <laughs> and they only got one. <laughs> but he's probably not good. And it could be that her Hobbit nature and her Faeborn nature is protecting her from the curses in um, in the Mirkwood. So it she's probably not tainted by it, but she can't be happy with it. I think, okay, so ambitions. I think that she wants to go to the Shire, but she's afraid to leave. And nobody that she knows can go with her. I think that she's probably skirted very much to the edge of the woods. She can see there's something better out there, but she's afraid to go touch it. Because she can leave. She just never has. Maybe she stuck a foot out. Touched clean land. It must be very tempting. How could she not at a 100 and. She's 146 years old. So all that time. I mean. I don't know. I mean. I don't know how. How. What kind of range. Um, How do you say his name? Bjorn? Yeah. I don't know what kind of range he has. But I don't think anybody has seen her. Anybody but the elves. Because if anybody had seen her. It would have already gotten out. Because Faeborn aren't unknown, and she can't hide her wings. She doesn't know how. So there's no there's no way that anybody has ever seen her. So if she's ever set foot outside of Merkwood, it was in circumstances where no one saw her, N- not even Bjorn. who does know Gandalf. Which means she's also never seen Radagast the Brown, because Radagast the Brown would have taken her. He would never have allowed a a Faeborn to stay in the Merkwood. I getting used to something ugly. Doesn't mean you would prefer it. So growing up in these circumstances where she's lived with all these curses that the hobbits have put on the elves. Does not mean that she would prefer to stay in those cursed circumstances. Rather than stand on land that would nurture her. Because we can get used to a lot of ugly things. Doesn't mean we would want to stay in those ugly circumstances. So I would say she wants to go to the Shire. Or she at least wants to meet other hobbits. Even if she's kind of afraid of them, Because I think she might be a little afraid of them, afraid of how they'll react to her because she's half elf, considering all those, those vicious little assholes. <laughs> okay, so bad habits. Would she, what kind of bad habits did she have? I mean, I don't really remember. I mean, she's kind of a smart ass in the movie, right? She doesn't know how to follow orders either. No. Well, I mean, she tried really hard. Um... <laughs> she's a little bit disobedient, but. I, she would not have the pressures that she had in the in the movie, and she she wouldn't have that job. She um she's probably kind of chafing at the overprotectiveness. I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah. So she probably is a little rebellious. In fact, the reason maybe oh that's interesting because what if the reason that the elves were even that close to the edge of the woods is because they were looking for her, and that's why Keeley was close enough to grab because he was being drawn to her. So she by accident became bait and they seized an opportunity. Well, Keeley, the more, closer he gets to the Mirkwood, the more his longing for his one um would be a problem. But I don't know if hobbits would have that or elves. That's not something that's in canon, is it? No. So the it's whole, really the, it, I don't yeah. think, I don't think, I don't think the dwarf thing about the one is actually all that well explored. No, but we do know they have it versus the others don't. So you can kind of Play with that. I mean, you could have the others have it if you wanted to. No, I just meant that you talked about, you said that they don't have it in canon, the longing thing, but there's nothing in canon about dwarves having it either. True. That's my point. Fanon. 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 Yeah, you got Fanon creep going on that you've kind of adopted as a headcanon, which is fine, but, um... I do like the idea of it, though. I mean, I like the idea of the the longing for their one, too, but, you know... Does she have any phobias? Spiders? I (laughs) (laughs) I why because she's in a forest full of them but she didn't <laughs> have any funky... but also she's not she's not as big as the so i imagine those spiders well, think about how big they were compared to bilbo she's in those same circumstances those spiders are bigger than her they were bigger than her in canon when she was a full when she was an elf really because i yes. i kind of i skipped over that part those spiders were bigger than well, everything was well i don't have arachnophobia I don't big. I don't like big giant spiders either. Yeah, do not post a picture of them. I don't want to see it. Um, I mean, not everybody has a phobia, so you don't have to put anything in the spot. It's not just Bella's revenge. The revenge started before Bella was even born. Um, I'm gonna take out pet peeve too, because that's kind of like a human thing to me. Um, no. Um, what happens? Like, what happens with the cursing is, I think it's in my notes, but I probably haven't fully explained it. Is that the Feyborn kind of transfer responsibility of the curses that they're managing on the forest to new generations. So curses that started before Bella was born, she's probably powering one or two of them. Because the Fae born before her died. And so now it's her job to go there and do that. Um, Maybe one expired and like, oh hey, now that you're old enough why don't you take your ass over to Mirkwood and these are your options. This is what we've already done. What would you like to do? Because they're vicious. But also he murdered one of their own. And has never been punished for it. Really. I mean, and honestly, the other elves should have forced him to sail for his crime against them. But they let him stay there and do what he wants. All Elrond did was go get him. Go get Mirimus. And and, and and he took Mirimus home. And he atoned in his own way for Elf King's crimes. But they didn't punish him. Maybe they felt like they couldn't punish him because he was king of his own lands. It was set a precedent where other elf leaders could punish them for the things that they do. Neither are wizards, actually. Well, those are the only options. Either they kill him or he sails. And they're not going to set out to kill him. So, favorite color. I don't know. Maybe she likes blue. Favorite food. God, food must be a shitty situation in the Merkwood. I'm going to skip those for now. I don't know enough about books and that. I'll skip that. Being afraid to leave. The Muckwood is her biggest personal failure in her mind. Her biggest personal accomplishment. Um probably getting trained to use the the bow even against her father's wishes. So her biggest regret would be the death of her father. Of her father's best memory. Worst memory. I'm I'm gonna skip best memory for now. Worst memory of the death the 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 fading of her elf father. Does she smoke a pipe? Do elves smoke, Jillian? Not that I recall. Um, I'm going to say no on the smoking, but yes on the drinking. (laughs) I mean, she might take it up once she's around another Hobbit. Um, (laughs) That could be something that you could put in as a detail once she's around Bella, that Bella offers her a pipe and she's like confused by it and tries it out. Like, oh, I like this. I like it a lot. (laughs) It's my head cannon that they're actually smoking weed. I think they're smoking weed, too. <laughs> I mean, long long bottom leaf, that sounds exactly like weed. Uh, yeah, Mary Jane. Mary Jane for the win. Um, so her best memory is the first time she flew. I'm going to leave this here for now because a lot of the GMC stuff I'll have to answer by digging into my zero draft and my plot documents. So I'm going to save this and let's open up a fresh one. Um, I think that if the hobbits weren't co- constantly high, they'd probably have already started a war or two. That's probably why they smoke. Mm. So, minor character, major character. I don't no need to do a tertiary character. We'll just check that off. But that, that template for you guys to use, as you will. Um. <laughs> oh, dishonor on your <laughs> cow, Mary Jane. Dishonor on your cow. Mary Jane probably knows where to get all the good Mary Jane memes. <laughs> Probably so. So we'll just take it as a challenge, love, to their name. Okay. Um, what is that? What is what? Never, never mind. It' A weirdness that I've clicked on by accident. You can't, I can't be trusted. Okay. So let's do an original character. So, there's kind of three different exercises, and you might wind up with three different templates if you do a lot of character work. One is fleshing out an underdeveloped canon character. Um, And you could fill in this template for a canon character so that you can kind of consolidate um, your information about the character and fill in the blanks about them that you don't know. Because some canon characters, we don't get much information about. And if you're going to write them, you need to fill in their details. So you kind of need to do this work even with the canon characters. And then there's adapting a canon character, which is kind of what Kira did, to a, an AU. Um, which adapting a character, a canon character, to an AU is a little bit of a different situation where you're going to have to take the details that you know and say, okay, my characters are now in the Star Trek universe. How are they going to be different? Or my characters are now in a Sentinel Guide world. How are they going to be different? And that is a completely different exercise. All of that is completely different from developing a character from the ground up and what care, what function does that character play in your story and um, how do they need to move through the story and all of that kind of stuff. So um, you may wind up with different templates over time as you, you may have fields you just don't like to fill in. You develop templates, you know, that make more sense to you. Um, but just bear in mind that um, even for canon characters, it's worth filling this stuff out because a lot of times you just I can't think of many characters where we actually have this much detail about them. And like I said, even if it never ends up on the page, knowing this helps you see them as a real person, which will show up in your work. But what I will say, it was interesting trying to do this exercise with you guys in the chat. And I don't mean this to be an insult, so please don't take it that way. But a lot of you are stupidly invested in canon. And when you're writing an alternate universe... Investing yourself in canon circumstances will hobble you. Now, I'm not saying throw the baby out with the with the water. <laughs> but I am saying <laughs> that sometimes expression. you have to let go. Huh? It is a weird expression. It, you have to let go of some elements of canon to make it AU work. And the ability to do that is what separates you from a writer who retells Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone 25,000 times on fanfiction.net. Yeah. So you have to. You ha- and I know particularly some fandoms people are more invested in canon than others. Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, to- Tolkien's universe. People. One of the reasons why I've never written in Lord of the Rings is because ugh, the people are so invested in canon. I've seen just stupid amount of author bashing um, of people who adapted this, you know, canon to fit their needs, or who altered canon, or or who just filled out canon. In a, in a really interesting way. But because it was different, uh, people got really wrapped around the axle. So people can get very uptight about canon in certain... Um, Harry Potter's another one. Pretty much a lot of sci-fi and fantasy canons. People can get really uptight about the details. Um, but when you're adapting... I often label my work alternate universe, even when it's just Canon adjacent so that I can hand wave away anything that I didn't want to mess with in Canon to kind of point out to people when they get bent about me not using Canon, it's an alternate universe. What'd you expect? <laughs> like just hush, just, just hush. Just shut your um, face. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I think that it is, Um. there's, there's going too far. There's abandoning canon to the degree that you don't have a canon character anymore. The character is like we talked about where this, you know, you've got the blonde haired blue eyed Harry Potter who has not magical and serving coffee in Des Moines. It is, that is where it becomes And on Saturday nights. He plays guitar in the corner, right? Um, that, and his name is not Harry Potter. That is where <laughs> you've gone too far away from. So, and he's dating yeah. a girl named Emma. But see, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to walk the, the line between you know, adapting um a character to fit the needs of the universe you're, you're doing and um going so far that it isn't anything like the canon character anymore um anyway so it is a very different it's a different exp- it's a different thing to take the canon character flesh out their details because that's that's step one take your canon character flesh out their background because otherwise you don't know them Honestly, you don't. You've got what little you get on the TV, which especially depending upon what or the movies, depending upon movies, you actually don't know a lot unless it's an adaptation from a book. Um, But TV, unless it's been on the TV for a long time, again, you're not going to know much about these characters. It's superficial. So you need to flesh that stuff out so you have a good feel for them. And then you need to kind of look at that and go, do I need to tweak anything for this particular story? Because there's a character and there's a story and do the details you've come up with for your character bio. So I have a pretty much a default character bio for Tony D'Anozo. Does that fit every story I write for him? No. Sometimes I have to go, okay, in this story, does that work? And I have to adjust it. And then there is sometimes adapting a character to fit a complete AU like, you know, this, the Faeborn concept or um, a Sentinel guide universe. And that's a different, characterization exercise and then there's creating a main character who's an oc from scratch which is a completely different um thought process so we're going to do that now we're going to create an oc from scratch now when you create an oc from scratch you need to you do need to know a little uh, some basic stuff going in um what universe are you going to set him down in is he going to be in an original universe or is he going to be in a fandom universe um and what's his purpose say his it could be his her they We're just doing a generic his um, at this point. So what's their purpose in your plot? Now, if you're a pantser, this probably comes up when this character appears on screen. So you're going to have to stop what you're doing and figure this person out before you continue writing. Which is fine. If that's your process, you don't figure the character out until you get there. But you do need to stop and figure the character out when you get there. I mean, you don't have to stop mid-scene. Give yourself a scene. Finish it off. Then sit down and talk and and think about your character. Think about who this is. What are what are they doing? Are they a main character? Are they a secondary character? If they're a tertiary character, name, gender defining characteristic in your database move on because you, you need to keep a list of your names especially if you're a pantser otherwise you're going to have 25 tertiary characters all doing the same damn thing and you won't even know it in, in, until you get into your second draft or if you don't second draft when someone points it out to you on AO3 hey did you know that the cabbie the bartender the guy in the elevator the doorman and the nurse were all named john no <laughs> Well, I was reading a story where the the characters' names were all very similar, like John, Joe, James. <laughs> no, like that, like Damien, Dorian, <laughs> Desmond. That like, would get really confusing. Um, but you have to also be careful because sometimes you can get into a naming rut, and uh, where like I do this sometimes, where like all my characters' names will start with the same letter. And you have to be careful not to do that. Um you know chris and carrie and courtney and it's like also why are all my characters start with c names that doesn't make any sense i know there's only 26 letters to choose from but the odds except at my chiropractor's office where everybody's name actually does start with a c um if that happens to me it's because i was on a list of baby names and they were all like right there in a row (laughs) in which case just go to the next page but anyway (laughs) um skip around a little bit it's good for you so Let's let's pick a let's pick a let's pick a fandom. Let's say we're going to do a fandom. Let's pick a fandom that needs an adult. Um, Ugh, I don't want to do a child character. Okay, <laughs> Teen, Wolf, Teen Wolf needs an adult for sure. Um, we need a main character, or at least somebody we need enough a fair amount of detail about. Um, well, we'll do the detail as if it's the main character. But I have a feeling that any adult I would I would original adult I would craft for Teen Wolf would actually probably be a secondary character. Um, well, okay, other fandoms that need an adult in C.I.S. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. I think you mean the NCS writers need an adult. I'm kidding. Same difference. Um, Harry Potter. There are a lot of adults, but no one's adulting. Um, but a lot uh, of very ineffectual adults in Harry Potter. So if um I'm creating an original character for a fandom, what I'm going to put at the top of this profile is purpose. What is their purpose in my story? This is honestly kind of difficult because I don't have any projects that I want. I want to insert an OC into let's come up with a basic concept. Um, do we need any significant OCs for, um, the Spartan thing? Oh, okay. Let me Let me look what we, where are my notes on? Am I trying to think if we have, if we have a character blank, we could just develop one as if they were a main character, even if they're not. Um, let's see. I had a list of characters that we're going to use. Let's see. We've got Alex. We've got Matt. We've got Patrick. We've got Weir, Beckett, Anteldy, and Allison Porter. um, we're going to use Randolph Rampart in Season 2. Did I do O'miss already? Of course. I wrote O'miss. By the time I get to the point where I'm writing, I've done my Zero Draft, my character profiles. Um, O'miss? Who's O'miss? She was in um, All the World. She was Ragnarok's sister. What does that got to do? I'm confused. She, uh, she was thinking about an, inserting an OC. She, I guess she asked if I'd already done the character profile for... Miss, But yeah, um, by the time I write a character, I've already done a profile on them. Um, so uh, when, I'm, when I'm in this process, it's when I'm getting ready to write. A scientist or a soldier. We could do a doctor to replace Beckett if we don't use Brio. Is that Biro. how you say her name? Biro? Biro? B-I-R-O, B-I-R-O like the pen? Biro? Oh, okay. Biro? Biro. I do like her a lot. She was my favorite part in um my um Heart of the Lion. She's John's bro. Um, ellie had that hysterical little um in a was it trust issues where doc bureau was uh, jimmy palmer's aunt i think <laughs> that's great if i i may have remembered that wrong if i got the wrong story well just you can smack me later ellie um we're gonna use thomas grant i think um yeah we're gonna bring him out for counseling he's not on my list but he definitely needs to be because we mentioned him in the six hour okay <laughs> thing i think we did mm. I need a, Okay. So, how about this? I need a team lead. Um, it wouldn't actually be a main character, but they would be a significant secondary character, but we could flesh them out like they're a main character. I need a okay. team lead for an yeah. NCIS team. Okay. So, team leader. So, at the top of my um, profile, a team leader for NCIS team, tertiary to Dinozo. Um, kind of like secondary, like off to the side. Like, is this a team that's like in his unit or a team that he'll be brushing up against or? Um, It would be sort of, um, yeah, somebody that would be sort of ultimately working for Tony. Right now, more peer of Tony's, but ultimately working for him. When Tony takes Uh Wepler's place, yeah. And I do this at the top of a profile, so if when I stick him in my folder and I'm like, "Well, who the hell is this, and why is he here?" I can open it up and I'll know what I designed this character for. That makes sense. Okay, so you want a male. It doesn't so. have to be a it doesn't have to be a dude. Um, although Tony's I think Tony's whole team is women. Um so yeah, you're a little dick light. <laughs> um <laughs> and, and also but also it's probably realistic that there are more male agents. So mm-hmm. okay, so, so let's go we'll, with go with we'll go with male. Go with male. If he's a team lead, he's um gotta be 30 ish. At least. So Well, that's the question do you want an older kind of stabilizing influence or do you want a young up-and-coming ambitious go-getter let's do somebody who tony's going to get along well with um but i think he's going to be a little bit older than tony because he's going to have military background so it's not uncommon okay. for like people get out of the military so maybe he was an mp so maybe a couple tours and then i'm going to do navy because i want to kind of get rid of the let's do get rid of the the marine um, the marine stigma so a couple tours in the navy um i don't know what the navy equivalent of mp is though Okay, so how old is Tony in DeNovo? Huh? How old is Tony in DeNovo? Um, okay, so sure. DeNovo is in... That's the right one, right? Yeah, you're right. Okay. It's DeNovo, De Tony's the year, he's 33. So, okay, Tony's 33. You want to give him a couple tours, military police background. Officer or enlisted? Um, I'm thinking, well, if he's an MP, I'm thinking enlisted. Unless he's leading the MP. I mean, MPs would have officers. Combat roles in the U.S. Army, MPs in U.S. Army, Navy, Air Force in addition. So they do have MPs. Thank you, Lady Holder. You could give him a lot of character if you do that thing Lady Holder was talking about the other night, about um, being enlisted for a while and then transitioning through OTS into an officer situation. Um, A Mustang, yeah. So that kind of gives you, like, um, it would give him a variety of experience. Um, So he could be a master at arms. He could have been a master at arms in the Navy um i need to go down a little bit see previous job master of or at master at arms um hyphenated three 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 part hyphenation Navy. what was his rank um it's usually carrying the rank of chief petty officer or warrant i love the title of warrant officer so i'm gonna see how long it takes to become a warrant offered it takes five well, to he, eight years she, she wants to, become to be not offer. enlisted only so you only warrant officer yeah. So if he, so it takes five to eight years to become a warrant officer. So that would work with two tours of duty. So, um, so if he so comes, let's say he was a warrant warrant officer when he was, when he was. How long is a tour? Uh, usually four ish years. So if he goes in at 18, you're going to give him eight years of service. He's going to come out as a warrant officer instead of going OTS. He comes out at 26. Um, he just flutsy, comes in as a probie. How long does it take him to get to team lead? Okay, so um, he did a year as a probie. I don't think he'd be eligible for promotion. He probably became a senior field agent. Let's say he, so we wanted wanted him to move up fairly quickly. So he became a senior field agent, let's say, fairly young. I mean, fairly quickly. So he became, he was was like Tony. He probably became an SFA. And the thing is, they would, because he has military police background, just like Tony had police background, they would waive um, some of the um, waiting. Because usually you have like, a I think, three years to carry like the title of senior field agent or something like that, or senior supervisory but agent. But he also needs to have a degree. True. So he would have had to have gone, he would have had to. So could, what they're saying in the in the chat here is if he had, after enlisted, they would have sent him to college for his first degree. That would have been have an gone option to, for him. He could have gone, so he could have gone to college between the two, before he re-upped. So he could have done four years, gone to college for four years and re-upped. Well, yeah, he could have gotten a degree while he was active duty. What degree would they have paid for? Would they do they make a specification on that when you're active duty anything okay? Well, but but you still but it, you can do it while you're active duty, but you can't. You still have to serve out your term, right? So if you're so he's he's doing classes like online or long distance. It would have been long distance at, in in that time period more than it would have been online. Maybe online. Yeah. He... So he might have taken some classes, some classes to shave. So let's say he took some classes to shave some time off during his first tour and then took two years to finish his degree and then went back and did another tour. So that would be 10 years total because um, it just I just don't think it's super practical for somebody who's the master at arms to be trying to juggle college too. Well, autopilot. he wouldn't have been master at arms of the whole time. Right. Right. But that's what I'm saying. But in his second tour, he would have been. So if he, his first tour, if he was doing some classes... Trust me, it is what it is. Yeah, I have a cousin who um, got two degrees during active duty in the Army um, in the 90s. That's what I'm saying. During his first tour, I'm saying he could have um, taken some classes and then taken a break or gone, I don't know, reserve or done just gone to school full time to finish and then re-upped and did another tour. So how old is he when he comes out of the Navy? So let's give him a decade. So he's 28 when he comes out of the Navy and goes to Flet sea. Okay. Um, which is what, a year? Uh, no, Fletzi is three months, four months, four months, four months. And sometimes okay. there's supplemental training. Sometimes there's supplemental training that they have to do too. But okay. that's like tacked on here and there. What are, what are his degrees in or degree? So he would have gotten a bachelor's. Um, I cannot spell. <sighs> Boot camp isn't very long. I think it's six weeks. It's not very long. Six eight weeks something like that. Does it depend on that branch? It, it may attend it may depend on branch of service because my 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 brother one of my brothers was went to boot camp. His maybe his was eight weeks. Anyway, uh, but Former, it's still, it's hello, still, Margaret. It's still not going to increase his, in in, in the scope of 10 years, it's not going to increase his, uh, it's not like Navy SEAL training, which is a good solid two years to tack on to um, the amount of time, which is why I always find like when somebody is 25 years old and they're already out of the Navy SEALs and pursuing another career, I just kind of (laughs) shake my head and go, whatever, dude. Um, What is a throwaway answer? Oh, she's talking about degree. I asked what the degree was and she said accounting. I'm like, "Um, I mean, I don't think so. But I don't know. I mean, unless he's working in financial crimes, I'm not sure how beneficial that would be for him as as an investigator. Um, He could have developed, let's say during his first tour, he developed an interest in um, law enforcement to some degree. And so he got his, um, there's a specific law enforcement degree called public safety leadership. And what if he got his degree in that? Um, And then he, that's why he went into the military police during his second tour. So a BS in public what? It's called public safety leadership. Now, does he need a master's for the team lead? Um, I don't. Because we discussed once what the education would be required for an SFA and a team lead. And I was kind of surprised. I think they require a, it can, I, I don't think, I think you, the, it's a bachelor, uh, bachelor's degree. Um, although many many FBI positions, many FBI, um, senior FBI um, people do have master's degrees. But sometimes they get them while they're in job. So, so he comes out of the navy with a BS in public safety leadership. Um, goes to Fletsey, comes on NCIS as a probie. I'm thinking he probably wouldn't be. Um, so Tony is 33. You said so. So this guy, so this guy's moving into a team lead position. What if he's somebody who um, he's former navy? What if I'm, I'm thinking of the path to? Um, what if he was on Wepler's cold case in Wepler's cold case unit? And that would be a lot of fun. You could put him like. Late 30s, 37, 38. Yeah, and he'd be a little older than Tony, but still young enough to be kind of a flexible thinker. And um, and what if what if when Wepler needs a new team lead, he recruits one of the guys that was one of his senior field agents to be a team lead? Um, it makes sense at, at HQ because it's somebody he knows and has a very similar background to Mike, which is former Navy who went NCIS. Makes sense. So somebody Mike is going to relate to a lot, um, and someone he can trust. Right. Because he's in a position right now where he's li- dealing with a lot of unknowns um, in a job that he didn't anticipate on getting when he was supposed to be retired. Yes. And Mike is actually, you know. And also is- in the back of his mind, he has to be wondering when the hell Gibbs is going to come back. Oh, yeah.
1: And, and how more that's su-
0: going to shake out. So there's wanting there's more somebody su- on. Go ahead. Because you to remember, there's more surprises in store for Mike. I mean, if you think through it, this is a spoiler for the sequel. But when you think through the issues, Shepard still has her brain tumor coming. I mean, I redeemed her, and we like her, but she's still going to die. It will be really interesting if um, Wepler prevents Vance from becoming the director. Yeah, it, and it's going to be—it's going to be, Mike's going to wind up the director. She oh, a, bless a, his heart, poor man, <laughs> Julie. That's just mean. He was looking forward to retiring. He had plans—retirement, plan. doing his wife and drinking. <laughs> that's right. But no, he's going to be the director of that agency, and he's going to be all—he's going to be all. He's gonna be all lemped about the whole thing um <laughs> I love it though I think it's right so um because Shepherd's gonna act she's not she's she's not gonna die in the course of the story but when the, she finds about the tumor she's gonna step down as opposed to trying to work through it because she doesn't have anything driving her you know she doesn't have that revenge I'm dying I need to get revenge driving her it's more like I'm dying I need to go travel the world right or that's what I would do I'd be like fuck it I'm done see y'all she, be I'm like out. oh I god." No, and no, because I think that it's going to be really different. I mean, that that whole plot line will would still eventually kind of work itself out in some fashion, except that, you know, she's going to be off living her best life at that point, probably boating in the Mediterranean, because when she finds out that she's dying, she's going to want to get the best she can out of what's left of her life. So... um She's in a different headspace and devoting the rest of her remaining, what time she's got left, to NCIS is not in her interest. So um, it's going to come up they need some more team leads, not, not because of Shepard stepping down. Mike is still going to be the special agent in charge of the DC office and he need, to, need to recruit some people. So he recruits this guy. Um, he can go with her. He just has to take some security detail along. Um, okay, let's get a name going. Well, before we do a name, ask a question about what this guy looks like. What does he like? Because I've got an idea. Okay. Hit me with it. Hold on. Let me get the picture. I'd be scrolling. I'd be scrolling. i don't got make a list him so of really hot. hot. looking men. I'm scrolling don't make him, to get don't the make one him, that I want. Don't make him so hot that Tony feels like he needs a dumpy in. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I'm just well, kidding. Ian might did- be like, you're not looking too hard at that, right? <laughs> come on. Tony's- come on. Oh, there he is. Okay. Tony's like, no, baby. I only got eyes for you. I'm not mad. <laughs> Mr. Hardison himself. Um, Aldous Hodge. Aldous, Aldous Hodge. Hodge. That's his name. Or someone like him. Someone with that vibe. That laid back, but I could kick your ass. Yeah, I like that. It's like that. I'll be your friend, but don't fuck with me. <laughs> As you sit down with your mouth bashing. <laughs> You and your lip issues—I I don't even know what to do with you. Okay, so um, we'll now he's him. actually quite young, but he's—he's um, he's the right age, right age-ish now. He's thirty-four now, so yeah. we'll just—we could pretend like he's thirty-eight. So well, the reason I asked about that is because some names wouldn't fit him. Yeah, some names wouldn't fit. I wouldn't—I don't think I'd call him Wyatt. Oh, or I don't know, Biff. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you would name any character Biff. I'm just saying that some names wouldn't fit. Um Anthony Mackey looks like somebody hurt his feelings in that picture. We need to kick somebody's butt because they heard his names his feelings in those in that picture. So Anthony Mackey. Amazon. Samson. I like that name. Um so he would have been born Walker. Very Texan. Darius. Yeah. I like Darius. If I if I really needed to go with somebody a little older, it could be like Mackay Pfeiffer. Although, I like the vibe, Aldous Hodge. Um, I do like his vibe. It's like, laid back, confident, adult, I'll kick your ass. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go with Anthony Mackie. Oh, um, no, I don't, I don't know. He actually, he actually. I don't know what it is about him. He actually looks the opposite of laid back to me. He does look uptight. Malik. I, like that. I mean, I like Malik. the dude. Oh, Malik, I like that name. That's Malik. Cool. Kai. Kai Wood. I'm in a name generator, if you were <laughs> curious. Barrett. That seems more female than it does male. I mean, Barrett. No. Um, so if he's 38, what year is this? Uh, like 2006, I think. So he was born in 1968. What were the popular names in 1968? Boys. Of course it was. Michael, David, John, James, and Robert. <laughs> Has it really changed all that much? No, the top names just don't change. Troy is 40, most popular name. Randy can't be named it's a man randy bruce samuel vincent curtis every time, I, every time i see the name curtis i think of that stephen king movie who is that he's familiar but i can't place him um that is not the rock oh okay agents of shield you're so you crack me up here today <laughs> i've I, I watched like half a season of that um agents of shield um what was i saying Oh, uh, Curtis! Whenever I see the name Curtis, I think of that movie um, Maximum Overdrive with, Steve, with that Stephen King wrote. Um, and there's this girl in there. She got married, and her husband, her new husband's name is Curtis. They got married that day. Um, and the plot line for Maximum Overdrive is this comet run comes by the planet and turns all the machines on Earth against humans. Right? Of course it does. And Emilio Estevez is in it. Um, and okay, so. I sound a lot like her. You might have noticed, no. Um, My husband thought it was the funniest thing, this this scene in this movie. And so I'd be like, Curtis, Curtis, are you dead? And he would fall over. He would be be inconsolable. So every once in a while, I'll do it. Curtis, he'll go, stop. You gotta stop. (laughs) Don't make me a widow on my wedding day. Anyways, so whenever I see the name Curtis, it pops into my brain. Um, or was I, I top baby names? Um, Curtis, Randall, Joel, Bobby, Philip. It's all very generic. Wow. So I Alan, put Benjamin. Go ahead. I was looking up, so I looked up an, what Aldis was, um, which is from the german meaning old um and it came up with similar names to Aldous and so i was like maybe something similar would like have resonate as fitting that actor mm-hmm. and the only one that is not bizarre like it comes up with coltrane coltrane um sage uh, sage uh but what declan it came up with declan i like declan I- i've used it i enjoy declan um I like Declan Sebastian. Those are my favorite names. Um, so actually, Declan Coltrane kind of amuses me. <laughs> that could be funny. He hasn't ever told anybody his middle name. Um, that would amuse his tone. Okay, let's go with Declan Coltrane because that would be it. Would be. So it's got him to put the last name though. Um, well, if we're gonna do that to him, he needs to have a really ordinary last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, the last y. names. Go the site that says last names for girls. I mean, do girls get different last names than boys do? <laughs> I would have preferred a different last name than the one I got. How about Crawford? Well, if he's, I like Crawford. Um, he's Declan Coltrane Craw- Crawford, which is a mouthful. But he would never introduce himself that way. No, he would not. He'd just be de- Agent Crawford. Agent. I've never had an Agent Crawford. have I? I don't think so. Height. Aldous Hodge is a little over six one, so we'll just say six one. Weight. I'm gonna guess about 70 170. That's uh, 175 pounds. Let's we'll cut the difference. Whoa! I got out of hand. Mm. What got out of hand? Uh, I put 1875 in his weight. <laughs> <laughs> 175 six foot one it's a good picture are you saving pretty pictures because yes okay <laughs> um okay so He's shadow says it's a very African texas American. name so actually we, we could we could have him be from texas yeah so does he wear glasses contact lenses um no okay no any injuries or disabilities he wouldn't be filled if he had anything severe I think severe. I mean I'm sure he probably has had some minor injuries, but minor injuries, but nothing nothing that's gonna impair his field ready. Um so just nothing. No impairments. Temperament and personality. Um I like playing your secretary, it's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flipping between tabs, so I'm glad you're making notes. Um I'm filling out the profile. <laughs> So let's go. So somebody asked, uh, would they call him Dick? Um, no, I, I, think him, he actually, I wouldn't allow it. I'd be like, no, no. I, people would try and he'd be like, no, uh-huh. I don't think so. He'd probably give him that look and be like, what did you just call me? Um, probably the most common nickname for people who felt who got more close would be just D. Hey D. but That would be for people who actually knew him probably really well. Um, and he couldn't stop them from using a nickname. <laughs> DC. That'd be somebody who knew him a lot better than he would prefer with a middle name like Coltrane. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could hear people calling him DC. That'd be, and then it becomes sort of prophetic that he moves to DC. Um, so M- Mike Wepler is, um, quiet, focused, kind of rigid. Yeah. Mike is very, he's a little rigid. Um, he's very intense. Um, he, he expects a certain amount of formality towards himself, but he doesn't demand it. Um, so, like, he expects his, like, it comes up in de novo, he expects people to call him sir. um. So, he's... Which is frankly hot. It was hot. I was like, yeah, call, <laughs> call him sir. Don't get call it messed him. up. Don't get it confused. Yeah. So, um, Declan, I would say he's very laid back, but he's also also very by the book. Because I would think um, being from military... <laughs> I laid by the book. <laughs> is- mm, laid by the book. <laughs> Things you should not do at work. Probably focused. I think that Mike Wepler wouldn't tolerate a lazy ass or someone no. who cut corners. So definitely by the book. So by the book, laid back, but by the book, um, but more focused flexible, and, than focused Mike. and thorough. And that could be one of the things that Mike liked about him is he's a more of a he's a more flexible thinker than Mike is. But he, probably he would need that enough. foil in his unit. Yeah, but he's probably still not as much of a flexible thinker as Tony is. Which you know he might have ended up with Declan because he didn't get Tony. That he was looking for that kind of flexible thinker. So I think he's a suit and tie kind of guy. I think it depends on the day. The bit depends on the day. It depends on the case. Um, so he dresses for the work. Dresses for the work because he's he, that's what he's used to. But because he usually works in the cold case unit, I think he is used to coming into work dressed in a suit. Um, cold case unit probably doesn't spend a lot of time out at active crime scenes. But if he's going to be going out to active crime scenes, I think that he's going to be more interested in being in cargos and a t-shirt with a, you know, a windbreaker over it than in a suit. He um, He probably keeps... Feel clothes. Yeah, he'd probably be a lot like Tony in that regard, that he would keep a drawer full of clothes. Because he's, I mean, honestly, it's just dumb to take a $1,000 suit out and to process a crime scene. So we, you guys decided he was born in Texas? I think Texas would be interesting, but I'm thinking one of the, not one of the. Um, Maybe Austin? Yeah, Austin would have one of the more liberal areas like Austin. That would have been, made it easier for him living in Texas as a black man. Or just growing up. Living arrangements. Does he have a woman, a man at home? Both. Um <laughs> I would say heterosexual, but n- he's not involved with anybody right now. Um we have there's a there's a field for pets. We'll get there. Hetero but single. Parents. Living. Um I'll name them still later. in Texas. Still in Texas. Um I'm thinking I'm thinking a suffocating number of sisters. All still in Texas. <laughs> I am putting that on there. A suffocating number of sisters still living in Texas. Is he the baby and the only boy? Because that would crack me up. I'm thinking so. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like the idea that he's got like six older sisters and he's the baby. And that's why he went in the military (laughs) and why he lives in D.C. I need to get out, Mama. Mama, I need to get out. (laughs) She says, okay, I'll I'll, I'll take you down to the Navy recruiting station. (laughs) Had to plot it in the middle of the night. Go stay at a hotel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, marital status. Of course, he's single. Wait, why do I have living arrangements? Okay, I actually living arrangements was more about his apartment. Okay, so he's single and hetero. That's in that goes down there. So where is he living? Well, the cold case unit is actually at Norfolk, so he'd actually have to be moving. So he's probably staying at base housing at um, Joint Base Anacostia until he sorts out an apartment. So In base housing, searching for an apartment. Um, does he have any children? No. Does he Despite have any- the fact that the mama really wants him to, to carry on the Crawford name. Absolutely. Does he have any pets? I'm going to say he's got a cat. A cat. What kind of cat does he have? And what is this cat's name? Because that's important stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I Russian the Blues Review. Things are creepy. <clears throat> a snotty Siamese. <laughs> that These balls rotten. Where's a rhinestone collar? <laughs> I think it needs to be just the, like the least, the most, um, the most unexpected thing it could possibly be. We'll go with a, a Turkish Angora. I gotta look this up. Hold on. Oh, it's beautiful. I was thinking one a little bit prissier. Like that <laughs> one. <laughs> so, okay. Turkish Angora named, um, not Bob. He should name it after his favorite fiction character. Like he's like, he's got like some kind of secret obsession with some TV show. And he named a cat after the, his favorite character on the show. Of course, if it's so... that cat, then the name is obviously Spock. <laughs> <laughs> That would be hysterical. <laughs> Some of you might be thinking, is that the information that we really need? It's not information that the reader necessarily needs, but it is information that the author needs. Because knowing what your character does when they're at home, knowing, um, knowing these little things about them is really important to your to you writing a person that moves in reality in your fiction. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so what do you want to name this this prissy cat? This prissy cat. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Brenda Lee Johnson. <laughs> that would be funny as fuck. <laughs> and he always called her the whole thing? Brenda Lee Johnson? <laughs> uh, Brenda Lee Johnson would hit, crack me up. That could work if it was for a girl cat. Or if you had a boy cat, it could be... Um, but maybe his dad's favorite show when he was a kid, a kid was the Jeffersons, and he named the cat Jefferson. I like that. I'm not talking to you, Alexa. Shush, girl. Okay. Um. Okay, so did all, Okay. So we're a Turkish Angorian named Jefferson. It's fabulous. Okay. Um. So we're at the education field currently. I have B.S. Public Safety Leadership. Um. He's been out of the Navy for a while. Ten year. Um. Ten years. Right. Yeah. About. Yeah. yeah he's he's ten years out of the Navy. Um. Did he get Did he get another degree? He's finished his master's. So master's um, in. uh, I'm going to say probably just criminal justice. Criminal justice, yeah. I mean, once he's decided to be in law enforcement, I think he's just going to. And especially if he wants to focus on the investigative side. Religion. Uh, I think his family is probably Protestant. I don't think he's pretty much practicing of any sort. But, you know, he goes to church with his mama because he doesn't really have much choice. Right. I totally agree. He doesn't have any choice. Okay. Socioeconomic status as a child. Um, I would think middle if class. If they had seven kids, up, middle class, def- I mean, at middle least class. middle class. Because yeah. that, that's a lot of kids to afford. So, socioeconomic status as an adult. He's an NCIS agent. That's going to be middle class for the most part. Ambition. Um, I think he's got like, uh, 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 outwardly like he like. If I contrast him with Tony, like Tony is sort of finding his ambition. I think this guy probably has a little bit more ambition, not a, not a ton more, um, but I could see him aspiring to be like a special agent in charge or something like that. Or, um, but certainly he initially inspired to be a team lead or a unit manager. So we could put um, career oriented, focused on advancement, or not af- not afraid of advancement. Like, yeah, that's a better word. Not afraid of advancement, as opposed to I need advancement. He's just not afraid of it. Bad habits. So I don't, I don't think he ever right. expected to be at the DC office, but he's not mad that he's there. Not mad of it. Um, yeah. Bad he knows habits. He, he knows what he's worth. Um, bad habits. Bad habits. Um, I asked someone to ask me if bad habits are important. I want to ask you a question. Um, just in the chat room. What is Leon Vance's bad habit? If you watched in CIS, you know it. Toothpick fucking toothpick it stands out doesn't it it stands out and it's well yeah jump into conclusions definitely but the toothpick the toothpick is jarring Gibbs has too many bad habits to name you know um getting married building boats in his basement drinking um denial lying to himself lying to others felony murder (laughs) just just to name a few Coffee. Yeah. He's, um, he's, he's definitely a caffeine addict. Okay. But no, what, what are, um, Declan's bad habits if he has any? Well, he's definitely going to have bad habits. Um, I'm going to say it's stuff. It's gotta be, I would never pick bad habits for somebody like him that could potentially interfere with his job. So I wouldn't pick like something like, um, he's never on time, like that kind of bad habit. I would never pick for somebody who's career minded and professional. So you got to pick your, you got to pick habits that are, you know, um, bad habits that are, um, uh, and sometimes a bad habit, something you see as somebody having a bad habit is just management to them. Like, if you ask my mother what my bad habits are, one of the first things she would tell you is that I don't answer texts. And I don't. But I don't consider it a bad habit. not a bad habit. My phone is for my convenience, not other people's. I tell my mama, if you want me to answer every text you send me and pay call you on, on a schedule, bill. you can pay my bill. She said, You're so awful. I said, I barely fell off your tree. Um I don't consider reading romance novels a bad habit. How dare you, Joanna? Send bin for you. <laughs> I'm gonna say he eats in bed and watches really trashy reality TV. Oh, bless his heart. Watches trash reality and eats in bed. That's his that's, that, that's pretty secret. bad, but he's but he's pretty, so that makes up for it. Yeah. But he's going to have to, Tony's going to be like, you're going to have to get your, your man case going to have to feature a bed that you can eat in and watch reality, trash reality TV, because your girl's not going to put up with that. <laughs> phobia, does he have one? Now, here's a, um, here's a thing where you might be tempted, I'm not going to the audience, not to you specifically, to give your character a phobia that you have or understand very well. Um, but then you often have to consider their background and how phobia yeah. is developed. Yeah, I don't think a I would. Phobia give him... doesn't appear out of nowhere. It is a psychological reaction to some kind of trauma. Yeah, um, I don't think I would give him any phobias. Um, so as no, he, as, no, as, he as, can't as, have a as, height phobia having been in the navy. No, as tempting as pagonophobia would be to give to somebody, I've always wanted to give somebody that that phobia. Um, it actually isn't reasonable for somebody in law enforcement. So. I it's it's not reasonable. To, I mean, it's not. It would be really difficult to manage your career if you have a height phobia. In, in a in a criminal justice field. I mean, height phobia is really, t- you know, I have um I have claustrophobia, and there are a lot of jobs that I literally could not have done with any kind of healthy mental space because of my claustrophobia. Yeah, I just don't think he could be military police, and then and then NCI, and then he, and be an investigator if he's afraid of heights. I just I just doesn't make sense because if I mean, he's if got he to- was, he was torturing himself on a regular basis. I just don't see him having a crippling phobia um, every time he has to investigate something that is up high. Just, but the other side of it is, is there are varying degrees of phobia. Not all phobias are crippling. Well, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. You guys, he doesn't need a phobia. It's no, like, it isn't required. He doesn't need a phobia. A lot. <laughs> a lot of... Twilight. Now I have a phobia. I had no idea that ducks spied on us. But yeah, the other side of it is that not everybody has a phobia. It's not something like it's a that you're required to have one by the time you get to be an adult. Not like anxiety, honestly, which we all we are required to have. <laughs> People will call just a dislike of something a phobia, which is, you know, what we tend to hi- hyperbole is practically our, our national pastime. Um, but you can also get treatment for phobias. So, yeah, by the time I graduated college, I thought I had mastered my phobia. I actually, I mean, I did. Um, Therapy. I went to therapy for it. Um, Well, a lot of people confuse phobia and disliking something. They also confuse allergy and disliking something, or they confuse being upset with being triggered or getting angry with being triggered. And that's not the same thing at all, obviously. So, does he have a pet peeve? Um, Pet peeve Uh, people who pick their teeth. (sighs) I agree. (laughs) He's going to hate Vance. Yes, he is not going to like that toothpick. Favorite color? Favorite color. Um, I'm going to say it's a very, a color that's a very specific memory to his grandmother who he's lost. And it was this, it's not a color he wears or anything. I want it to be, it's like this very specific thing that she had, this, that she wore this um, pale pink sweater all the time to church. And she was his, she was his favorite person when he was a kid. And he always associates that color with his grandmother. So that's why that pale pink is his favorite color. Maybe his cat has a pale pink cat bed. Okay, I can deal with that. Jefferson sleeps on a pale pink cat bed. <laughs> Favorite food? Favorite food? Um, Anything his mama puts on the table. <laughs> well, he's from Austin, so he's probably eaten more than his fair share of Tex-Mex. So he's probably I'm gonna go with I'm gonna. It's probably a little bit cliche, but I'm gonna go with uh, gili quiles because you're going have to spell that shit. Or <laughs> er, put it in the chat room and I'll copy and paste it, which is a better idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a really cute cat bed. <laughs> okay. So what is his least favorite food? Least favorite food. Um, I'm blanking on the <laughs> name of them. Margaret? Um, prunes is super specific, Rowan. <laughs> Susan, sorry, Susan. That's super specific. Prunes. Um, no, I would say I'm going to go with um, scallops because they're a textural nightmare. They are and also I'm allergic to them, so I approve of this. Margaret says Jefferson has a pale pink bed. Jefferson sleeps sprawled across Nicklin's face. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I mean I, As, the I one time I tried you know, I, Phelps, I, they tasted good. You notice I didn't say anything about the taste. I said they were a textural nightmare. But they do taste but they are creepy in your mouth. Unfortunately, Ugh. they also almost put me in anaphylactic shock. So there's that. <laughs> favorite musician. Um uh, oh my god, what can I can't think of his name. it's um, <laughs> in the name. Taylor Swift. Bry, do you want to earn your first jaunt into the sin bin, darling? John Lee, John Lee Hooker. John Lee Hooker. I like that. Favorite author or book? Favorite author. Um, Dune's a pretty hard read. I'm going to say his favorite book is Don Quixote. Um, I don't know how to spell that last part. Um, wow, guys. Wait, st- there are too many. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to say he doesn't have a favorite author because he tends to like one or two works by an author and, and he's just, he doesn't zero in on a. Okay. Favorite curse word. This is important stuff. Um, Can't be fucked because that's Tony's favorite curse word and we just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say he probably doesn't swear a lot because he doesn't want to be in the habit of swearing when he goes home because it offends his mother deeply. Um. So while he has a deep appreciation for fuck, he probably the most serious thing he ever uses. Damn. Favorite sound. Um, All of his sisters leaving the house at the same time. <laughs> it could, that could actually be it is Silence. Silence. It'd be hard face. to combine a house with, with, with seven kids. Especially six older sisters. Um, Least favorite sound. His sister's fighting over the bathroom. Um, Were you serious? <laughs> I'll write it down. Man, in a house where there's only one bathroom, the bathroom door closing is a nightmare. <laughs> okay, here, here's for this. He, uh, in his mind, he likens the sound of his sisters fighting to chickens fucking. So his favorite, his least favorite sound is chickens fucking. That's the way he describes it. What is your least <laughs> favorite sound, chickens fucking, and it, no explanation for what that means. I agree. Biggest personal failure. Um, she's saying fucking. Well, right. Well, he he might actually say fucking fucking if you chicken's copulating, how's that? <laughs> cause I did um, put fucking down, but I but then it's like you can't see me off like did I, did I hear that wrong because I do um biggest personal failure I think that he feels um a deep failure about the fact that he feels the need to be so far from his family that he that that bothers him so basically he uses separation to get independence, yes. Biggest which personal accompli- accomplishment. Okay. Um, biggest personal I mean, other than, I think I think just the stuff in his career would be his most, his biggest personal accomplishments. So whether that's making um, warrant officer or I'm not sure which one, I have to think through which one matters the most to him. Warrant officer or um, getting his master's or, I'm actually going to say getting his master's. I'm going to suspect getting his master's. Yeah, that, that would have been something he did for himself, not something he did to further himself because he didn't need anything else to further himself right because everything he, he got on extra. the job he could earn through the job but right getting his master's that, that was personal for him his he's his grandma his grandma died when he was a kid so he didn't uh you know he's the youngest of seven so his grandmother would have been quite a bit older right um, biggest regret did he leave a girl behind when he enlisted biggest regret I think maybe the girl in college. Maybe the two years he went to let, took a took off to go to school. There was a girl, and he left her behind to go to go back to to re up. No, I had a. He would have been right very young kid. when his grandmother passed because if he's the youngest of seven, I mean, even I mean, his parents could have had them when they were in their forties. His grandmother could have been seventy or so when he was born, so he probably didn't get to have his grandma long—maybe ten years if he was lucky. Best memory? Um, His best memory um, would be the times his grandmother would come and get him to go get ice cream, just him. Get him out of the house, away from his sisters, and take him to get an ice cream. I think he deeply loves his sisters, but I think that they're kind of bossy and intrusive, and he's good about his boundaries with everybody but um, his family, which is why he needs, like you said, he needs separation to achieve independence. Worst memory? Well, I think we already know what that is. The death of his yeah. grandmother. Grandmother. I have a cousin see... who is a menopause baby in that my aunt thought she was going into menopause, but she was pregnant. She was 46. <laughs> Yeah, so if he was a late-in-life baby, and if his mother was a late-in-life baby, um, not maybe not as late in life, he, his grandmother could have been quite old. Um, but if, if I have to work on, like, a second worst thing, I don't think anything, because he would have probably been serving on a ship, I don't think I would have anything terribly awful happen in the military for him. Um, I think it probably would have been, like, maybe one of the cold cases that they cracked, um, maybe was, like, child grave or something, would have been, like, one of the worst things that happened. I was the thinking the same thing, that it would be, like, digging up... a. The grave of a child. Yeah. I'm um, Is he a smoker? I would say no. No. Is he a drinker? Social. Um. Socially. Socially. Best friend. Uh. Best friend. Um. best friend is a woman in his unit at the cold case unit, who weirdly reminds him of his sister, his oldest sister. I have a character that I cast, um, Gabriella Union, to play the part. Um. She is um an NCIS agent. She is in um she I procedurals. There it is. Um uh, her name is Della Hawkins. She's former CIA. And um oh, I remember I Della. cast Gabriella Union to play the part. Um yeah, and she hits on um that she was in special operations in is a, on EAD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's in special operations. Yeah. I remember that. So you could use her if you want if you don't want to create a character. That'd be cool. That way she could be his bestie from back in the cold. She could actually have been his um Second, she takes over. Uh, takes his, she gets promoted in his place, or she could have been a peer. It doesn't really matter. It actually probably better if they are peers. It's a little harder to maintain to a close, yeah, a really close friendship with somebody who's a subordinate. Um, yeah, Gabriella Union is a bomb. I think that I'm gonna like lobby on Twitter for her to replace um, to be the new Cara Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay. What's next worst enemy. If worst he's anything enemy. like me, himself. I think a lot of times, most people's worst enemy is actually themselves. They get so wrapped around the axle that they that that nothing nobody else does to them can compare to what to what they do to themselves. Yeah, I I definitely I think with his life and his circumstances, he doesn't really mean like Tony denozo has got some actual enemies, but I don't think this guy does. Last sex partner? Um, the, I think the last serious relation. Um, maybe he got out of a serious relationship a couple of years ago, um, and occasionally he does. Uh. Occasional, occasional re- serious
1: relationship, Occas- but he's he's not he's occasional. not averse
0: to the occasional one night stand or whatever. Okay, yeah. occasional hookup. Maybe he's some maybe he's some hot to trot lawyers backup dick. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny because I was thinking that he develops a big old crush on one of Tony's people. Because I have one woman in Tony's unit who's single. Um, occasional hookup I- with a lawyer who uses him for sex. Yeah, I was thinking I mean, he I mean, might have I mean, a, ter- a terrible crush on Aaron Aaron Keen, um, who's one of Among Tony's people, um, who I pl- have played by Amber Benson. Twilight, your link to get a picture has to have a dot JPEG at the end or a dot .gif or not not a gif, but a dot jpeg or a dot .png or yeah. Good night. I, I, I didn't know. Did we already discuss how to say her name, Misha? Misha. Good night. <laughs> oh, somebody going to bed. Who's going to bed? Yeah. <laughs> night, Misha. Um, Night shadow, um, view of romantic relationships. Um, I don't think he has any kind of negative perception of. I mean, his only. I think his his hesitation about romantic relationships is be the pressure to have kids and stuff, which he's not felt ready for. Um, but he's not like he's not like a intimacy issues or he's not relationship averse. He's just not ready to have a family yet. No intimacy issues. Not adverse to re- relationship. Not ready for a family situation, and I think part okay, so of that not readiness is the pressure from is actually more the pressure from his family. Because sometimes the more other people pressure you to do something, the more you dig in your and you don't want to do it. I, yeah, I totally agree. the The rest of the profile is GMC questions. Okay, say who does he think highly of and why? Um I think that contextually it's going to matter that he thinks very highly of Mike. Um That he thinks Mike is very loyal, um, that Mike will go to the wall for his people, um, that Mike will give you a kick in the ass in private if you need it uh, and tell you what you're doing right. And he really admires Mike's management style, even if he thinks Mike is a little bit too formal. Um, I I think he admires both of his parents. Mom is a civil rights lawyer. Maybe dad runs a restaurant. I think his sisters drive him crazy, but if he were pressed, he would admit that he admires them all. Night Shadow, I miss Shadow taking off. Okay, so why did he want to be when he grew up? When He was little, fighter pilot, fighter pilot. Of course he did. That's awesome. I would. I wanted to be a fireman, and, and, and then I wanted to be an archaeologist. If he could change one thing about themselves or their or his past, what would it be? One thing about his past. Um, maybe he would have gone to the gone to college before the military, so he could have gone in as an officer. What are his goals? I think in the short term, I mean, he's he's recently made team lead. So he's recently achieved one of his, like, goals. So he is probably flailing about trying to figure out what his next step is, um, what his next goal is. So I think that is to learn as much as he can, be a better investigator. Um, and I think he does want a relationship. I think that's why he um, takes particular note of Aaron. I think also because he does admire Mike, that he would be very invested in proving that – he deserved the promotion that he got. Yeah, I agree. Proving to Mike that, you know, you you made a good gamble on me. So, all along I think he's wanted to prove that to Mike. Because Mike might have plucked him up pretty easily. Like, maybe the guy did because he's been with NCIS for a while, so maybe he did a little bit of time at one of the field offices and then mm-hmm. Mike b- brought him into the cold case unit to see how he'd do. So what motivates your character? I think he's one of those people who just I think he likes, um, when he, when he decided to pursue the um, law enforcement angle, criminal justice angle in college, I think he discovered that he liked solving the puzzle of who committed the crime, um, and that he also likes being able to give closure and um, to the victims of crimes. So um, I don't think he's like a justice crusader or a um so i think i think he likes solving the puzzle of the crime itself and i think he also likes giving closure to families and protecting the victims and that kind of thing so i think he's got a very protective vibe about him despite the fact that he's the youngest of that that group because uh, i think even because i think because he was the only boy um okay what are his, i think okay also yeah. i think he'd also be very protective of women in general because he's got so many sisters and his relationship with his grandmother That would have shaped him when he was very young. Um, What internal conflicts does your character face? Um, Somebody asked, did Mike meet him on a case? I actually, it's my head canon that all, I mean, they show in in NCIS canon that they work on cold cases from time to time. It's my head canon that because Mike is the head of the cold case unit, that any cold cases that are solved outside of his unit cross his desk. So it could be that um, the way I think I would work it would be that Declan that a case that Declan worked on that he contributed to um, crossed Mike's desk and when he was reviewing it, he was very impressed with Declan's work and that's why he recruited him. So not explicitly worked with Mike, but um, that's why that's the same reason why Mike had tried to recruit Tony is because of Tony's work had crossed his desk. I would think that that would be his main method of getting people into his unit. people demonstrating that ability outside of his unit um, while right. they're doing active cases, they're solving co cases on the side. That would be very attractive. Damn. Those who can actually solve um, a cold case are the people he's going to want to recruit. He's not just going to want to blindly bring people in. So I would think that that's why I would probably have it be is that he did a couple years at a field office and then he recruited him to come to Norfolk to work in the cold case unit. Um, What was your next question? Internal conflicts. Now He's going to be a secondary character, so he might have internal conflicts, but he might not have external ones. In your story, like I was just for the audience more than you, obviously. But sometimes your secondary characters they serve a point of being a foil for your main character. Um, so you might not need to know what their motivations are or what their conflicts are. Um, and It just depends on what surface, on what purpose they serve in the story. But um, again, knowing these things isn't exa- it, um, isn't a problem. But if you get stymied on these questions, if it's a secondary character, um, you can fill that in later when you when you spent some time with them um in the narrative, and, you, and you've got a better idea, you can go back to your character profile and flush it out a little bit more. So okay. um, in, in, where, in what I would when I'm using him for in the story, he's gonna get thrown into a case that he feels like he's not qualified to work. Um, he's gets get thrown to the deep end hard really quickly. Um, and he, I think that that insecurity of, am I up to the challenge, is going to be a conflict for him? Am I able to um, do this? So that's job insecurity. Because he's newly out of the cold case unit, and he's coming in to help out with a case, and they have to pull an investigator off of what winds up being a serial killer case, and kind of winds up being, ostensibly, Mike is the lead on the case. Mike can't devote enough attention to that case, and they have to have a lead investigator on it, and so they dump it in his lap. And this is why it's a, an important role that I needed to flesh out better, um, is he winds up having to take the lead on this serial killer case. Um, and he's already has met Tony by this point. So job insecurity to do to being new to the M- MCRT and feeling out of his depth a little. Yeah. Which makes sense. I'd be a nervous wreck. <laughs> like, what? You would do what? Milk what? I think you got your people mixed up external conflicts the external conflict is coming from the case it's coming from because there's gonna be a lot of things push pulling at him he's got mike is mike is running a dual role and he's he's in the position of where he's basically kind of walking in one of mike's roles um and uh, the person who's the best suited to um the person in the building who's best suited to run the serial killer investigation can't because he is the target of the serial killer. So and he's gotten to know Tony a little bit. So he's not, he's a little conflicted about the fact this guy he likes is, you know, and then they have to bring in um um he has to juggle also bringing in um that they bring in uh profilers to also help out with this case eventually, eventually. So it winds up being it I mean none of this is from his point of view. My POV characters are Tony and Mike Wepler, but Declan winds up with a lot of pressure on him because he has to juggle um A lot of different people in this investigation. And everybody knows that the ultimate target is... Okay. I'm going to save it. I'm going to drop it. Because this is your personal... I'm going to drop it in um, the chat. And you can see what I wrote for you. What your secretary wrote for you. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go... I have to go pee. I'll be right back. Okay. 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 I let silence reign while you were gone, so that you could uh, <laughs> delete it. Um, yeah. Um, someone asked me earlier, um, when I first put this little template up, if I often do character profiles and text documents. I do. Yes. Um, I used to keep Excel spreadsheets for my. I, I also use OneNote at one time, and I've used Word. <clears throat> but the really good thing about text documents is they're small and they open up really quickly. Yeah, I used to. Keep, I used to do it in OneNote, but OneNote just wound up being a, just. It just wound up being a giant pain in the ass. So, I mean, it was nice to have multiple copies of my profile and it's just a tiny little text document. It's tiny. And then you can, you can put it in the folder with the, with the, with the, with the story and tweak it for that story. Now, some of the things I also usually consider with a character profile like this, if, if, if it's a main character, or if they're going to have a lot of dialogue, is how much slang do they use? How casual is their language? Is their language very formal? Because you got to understand, you got to pick a dialogue rhythm for your character. Is there a lot of erudition in how they speak? Um, so, I mean, those are, those are decisions you have to also make um, if they're, if they're going to have dialogue parts. If they're not going to have dialogue parts or not a significant number of dialogue parts, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, because you got to ask yourself, he was um, um he was born and raised in Texas. Does he have an accent? Has <sighs> he worked to get rid of it? Uh, yeah, I think he's worked to get rid of it. But I think it probably comes out. In this case, I would probably uh, model my own personal experience, which is work to get rid of it pretty quickly once I left the South. But when I'm tired, it kind of comes out sometimes. And some things you just can't, like, I swear, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I will still say fixinta. Um, fixinta is pretty much a Texas thing. You probably won't believe this, but my accent used to be a lot worse than it is. Um and so there was a time when the words g-yet, yet yet would come out of my mouth to be followed by you want to? You want to? I- All right. <laughs> That's a whole conversation in the south. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Which is but- did you eat yet? Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So I think I, I think in that case I would just model my own personal experience with accents as I did try to get rid of it from a professional perspective, uh, and then it just comes it just comes out sometimes. And but if I'm around a Southerner for a long period of time, I just pick that up like gangbusters. I can't help it. They'll think I'm mocking them. I'm like, I'm not mocking you. I can't help it. I was raised in the South. This is just what happens. I used to do support calls. I worked for this company where they do customer support when I was like 19 or 20. And uh, I had this customer in Savannah. And every time I would talk to her, I would look within like 50. And the thing is our support calls because of the nature of what we were doing, which would require like rebuilding databases and stuff. Sometimes our support calls, we go three or four hours. And after like a half an hour, I'd be talking just like her. And I'd be like, and I'd be like, when, when I'd start to hear it, but like, I am so sorry, I was raised in the South and it is so easy to pick the accent up again. She's like, oh, no, no, honey, it's okay. <laughs> but that is something you have to also consider. Um, it's a separate part of a character building is if the character, and for a main character, it is an important part, is what their dialogue is going to be like, how they're going to speak. Are they, are they, you know, is there a lot of brevity? Um, are they very loquacious? I mean, you got to make that kind of decision. If you don't but- want all your characters to sound the same. No. Ooh. Do they have a dry wit? Um, do they make a lot of puns? I irritate. So, um, and if you make those decisions kind of up front, but also don't box yourself into a corner. Don't make dialogue decisions for a character that you're not going to be able to execute. Like if you suck at puns, don't don't write a character where you're going to have to make a lot of puns. That's just because Google can't help you with everything. I would never intentionally, like, put down a character profile, this guy is funny. Because I can't do funny on command. But you can put down the guy is witty or sassy or, um. hope for the best. But I can't do it. Like, I can't go into a scene say, okay, I'm going to write something fucking hilarious. Because that never works out. I rarely warn if a story is funny. Because I feel like that's, like, setting me up to not be funny. So, like, people (laughs) told me that I needed to warn that Here for You was funny. And I was like, nope. If I said it was funny, y'all wouldn't find it funny. That's the problem. I think the toaster scene was funny, but I'm not 100% sure. I don't know. Five people standing around a dude with a powder blue smeg toaster on his dick. It that's seems funny. That's pretty fucking hilarious. How'd you get here? How how did you get here? And, and that's a $175 toaster, dude. We're about to take it apart. <laughs> <laughs> don't put your dick in anything worth more than $50 unless it was literally designed to be used for your dick honestly really don't use don't put anything on your dick it wasn't designed to put on your dick it seemed like a good idea at the time is my life motto it covers so much not as much as your theme song did <clears throat> now this guy is actually a secondary character he's not a main character but it's not that because i played yeah that poor tyson um big be- big be- because he plays a pivotal role in the investigation, I would probably nor and he's going to have a lot of dialogue, fleshing him out a little bit more. And he's going to be um, part of, uh, how do I put it? He's going to be um, instrumental in pushing some of Tony's plot lines. Um, I would flesh him out a little bit more than most secondary characters. So, but we, we did a full character on him because as if he were going to be a main character. But now if I need him to be a main character, I, he could be. She's ready to go ish. I mean, she might, but the thing is, is you need to fashion your character profile to suit your own needs. Like she mentioned that she would have a lot about what kind of language um, they often used, uh, what the rhythm of their speech is, um, what their sense of humor is. There's not things that I normally include in my, just my general profile um, that, that ends up something I saw on the fly and maybe I'll add later. Um, but so you need to shape the character profile to suit your needs as a writer. Like, what do you need to keep track of? What notes do you need to take for your character um, going into the writing process? And and what kinds of things do you like to know about your characters? Do you like to know that your character likes to wear a leather jacket? You know, that's not something I particularly note down. And unless your character only will never leave the house that leather jacket, you know, Um, unless the leather jacket belonged to his grandpa and. What is, the one thing you're, what is the one thing your character never leaves the house without? Maybe that's an important detail for you. I mean, since for me, I wouldn't put that in as an important detail because every single character I've ever written, the one thing they don't leave their house without is their phone. So it's not particularly noteworthy. But you might have a character that the one thing that, that they never leave the house without is... Um, their grandpa's lucky bullet i don't know it seems like a strange thing which is why it might be noteworthy in a character bio you gotta know it you got the 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 point is the point of this exercise is that you need to know your character nighters so i hope that um that this listening to us do this was beneficial and helpful and that um that you took away something from it and um that you going into your process always keep in mind that it's your process not mine, not Jelly's, not anybody else's, not the author of the book that you bought three years ago on plot, who tells you exactly how use that you need to plot the book and just 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 because that serves them, but it might not serve you. You need to be able to, um, if you're a plotter, plot to the degree that helps you and then stop. Because even I can overplot. There is a point where I saturate myself to the point where I can't write. And it took me years to find that point. And sometimes. I skirt too close because I yeah. have OCD. <laughs> well, sometimes and I something... will zero draft my sh- my shit all the way into almost the final draft, and like, well, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> oh, i not want to write it now. Sometimes you plot something way too far in advance, and then you find nothing to um, distract yourself with between then and the writing, and you're like, oh, well, what am I oh, doing wait, now? that well, that that sounds familiar. How many days until April? It's it's actually. A lot closer than you think because it feels like it's far away but in about we got in two days it's going to be ead yeah which is because it's going to be busy the next couple of days and then starting in about two weeks it's going to be two weeks of chaos with the quantum, quantum bang and then we have sign ups for april yep and then sign ups so, so that signups will be a little bit of chaos for you but the two weeks leading up to the people submitting their rough drafts for the quantum bang that's going to be a pain. But, wow now I feel terrible. <laughs> Thanks, Jillian. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, I just did. Just... I did zero draft my entire damn trade for the year for the year. So, like a month ago, and now what am I going to do? Apparently, well, I am going to stress out about the quantum bang. <laughs> well, you are going to uh, write some prompts from your prompt calendar. That's true, true, true. So, I guess we should end the podcast, and then I'll tell you about my art. Okay, wow, that sounded ominous. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. I really appreciate it, and I hope you learned something. Say good night, Jillie.